South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, a very good morning. It's, uh, I hope you weren't awake too much with that thunderstorm in the middle of the night, but I don't know about your house, but it was kind of flashing and banging around mine. Good rain out of the deal. I tell you, it really does look like that uh, the meteorologists, and I don't mean by that the weather clowns on TV and radio, but the true meteorologists, the ones that actually understand about the Madden-Julian Oscillation and the Western Pacific Oscillation and all those fun things out there that impact our weather, are saying that we looks like we're definitely headed into an El Nino pattern, which thankfully for us normally means a cooler summer, a warmer winter, and lots more moisture, and boy, do we ever need that, so... I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying 62 degrees at home this morning when I left. And uh, anyway, it's going to be a beautiful day to be out in the yard or coming out to the Festival of Flowers, which I hope you will do. And by the way, that is where we're broadcasting this morning, out at the Al Safar. Festival of Flowers is back at the Al Safar. So glad to be back here. It's such a beautiful facility. And uh, I was wandering through a few minutes ago. Everything's just absolutely gorgeous back there. I know they're going to be a lot more booths set up before the before the morning's over, so I hope it's on your schedule of events for today. Doors, I think, open at uh, 9 o'clock around here, and it goes on till late this afternoon. I know if they say officially 5 o'clock, but everybody's pretty much sold out and ready to move along with other things. Looks like they're setting up things outside the building now. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me, this first time in... I guess three years, took a couple of years off for COVID, uh, and they tried having it at a couple of other locations uh, for two or three years, and let's just say it's really glad to be, nice to be back here at the Alcivar because this is a beautiful facility, and it's it's going to be a great event today, and uh, if you've been with us very long, you probably remember it from uh, eight or ten years ago. If not, it's the premier gardening event in San Antonio, one day only, uh, lots of seminars, we do something called the Organic Roundtable at 1 o'clock this afternoon, where Bruce Dooley and Sam Sitterly and uh, Stuart Frankie going to be joining me for an interesting uh, hour, hour and a half of discussion about organic matters. Anyway, lots of fun things going on. I do have a couple of open lines. If you'd like to get in early, 210-599-5555. You'll get in line behind David and Don, who've both been uh, waiting for several minutes, so we're going to get right to them. But anyway, give me a call, 210-599-5555. I call this uh, Smart People's Half Hour, where we don't take a commercial break till 6 o'clock, so we've got time to talk about things a little more in depth, or if you have something you just want to want to talk about and get on with your day, give me a call. Uh, De- uh, Don, let's go ahead and get the phone calls, and uh, David's up first. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. How you doing this morning? I'm off to a pretty good start. How about yourself? Oh, doing wonderful. Our place in Utopia got a quarter of an inch early this morning, and we've been getting some pretty good rains here in Pasadena. Uh, problem That's... is, I've got one of the best lawns in the neighborhood. People always asking me, you know, how I keep it up, and you know. Anyway, uh, I got a regimen: growing green, azomite, put down the leaf mold, compost, beautiful uh-huh. fall, Saint Augustine. Had something popping up this year. Just, I, I don't have an answer for it. Have something that looks, I think you call it chlorosis. It looks like uh, some of the grass is chartreuse in color. The roots are good, uh-huh. nothing wrong with it. Used to think uh, a little spot of it might have been old construction material from 1998, but 
walking through the neighborhood, a lot of people have got it all of a sudden. Um, uh, the only thing I knew to do is grow some more azomite and a little bit more fertilizer down. And I just put out some molasses on it only because I was throwing that on the compost pile. But I'm at a loss on this one. Got any ideas? Well, I think it's probably more weather related than anything else. We have had, as I'm sure you have noticed, since you're obviously an early riser, we've had some of the coolest, nicest weather. This time last year, it was already 100 degrees. And until the weather warms up, the chlorophyll production doesn't really kick into high gear. And if you've put down azomite and put down growing green twice, uh, it's certainly not going to be a nutrient deficiency. So I probably, with having had good rainfall, Having had a little bit cooler than we've been used to mornings, I think once the heat hits, things are going to uh, things are going to green up extremely quickly. And the fact that it's widespread, that it's all over your neighborhood, uh, it, it certainly doesn't sound like a disease issue. There, there are diseases that St. Augustine gets, but not typically that just look like chlorosis. I I think you're just looking at the combination of a little bit more rainfall than we've had and a little bit cooler weather than we've had, and I would just sit back and, you know, bide your time. I think by the time you really start sweating, your yard's going to be a beautiful lush green. Okay, Bob. (laughs) Moving along, I've got one more for you. It involves wildlife. Neighbor called the other night. (laughs) We found a baby screech owl on his patio. Oh, wow. Uh Yeah, didn't know what to do with it. So I I picked, it was down on the the ground, and we were afraid the feral cats around here was going to get it, or his kids. Absolutely. So I picked it up and put it up on a uh, couch he has out there. Well, while we were doing that, wife looked up, and there was the mama looking down at us, glaring. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So we made the decision to just leave it up there, and by picking it up, I found out the wings were in good shape. They extended, oh good, the whole, you know, the whole bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, we decided to just let nature take its course, and lo and behold, late yesterday evening, looked up in a little tree, and there was the little guy up in that tree. <laughs> Boy, we we felt so good. Now we're wondering. We did a little research, and they they lay. It said they can lay up to five eggs, and they they're timed out. So we're just wondering how many more we got to look forward to, and was this the only little guy? So we we did feel feel real good about saving the little guy. Well, absolutely, and owls are such an important part of the ecosystem, and they eat all the things we don't like, like rats and mice, and uh, uh, the occasional gopher who ventures out at night, but. Um, chances are, and and you see this with lots of different kinds of birds, but uh, sometimes mommy and daddy decide the babies are ready to get out and try out their wings before the babies have confidence and are able to do much. And some of them just, just take, get hold of the idea and figure out how it works a lot faster than others. I'm sure that's natural selection at work. And chances are, Mommy pushed them all out of the nest at about the same time and said, okay, guys, it's time for flying lessons. And, you know, Junior that you picked up just wasn't quite as ready as the others were. So chances are if you, and and you know how well they can disguise themselves, but chances are you've got three or four more around. But 
once they figure out how to use those wings, and they're like other birds, you know, mommy's going to be feeding them, and daddy's the both of them. I think, I think in Screech House, I think both parents feed, but uh, they're even though they're up in the tree, if you watch carefully, you'll probably see the the parents coming back to feed, and just every day they you know use those wings a little bit more, get a little bit more confident, or every night, of course, they're uh, principally nocturnal birds. But um, I think you're just privilege to have have seen that and uh, it doesn't sound like anything out of the ordinary or um, you may or may not see the siblings of of the one that you rescued so you did a good thing you got them uh, and and just stop and think about it if mama pushed them out of the nest even 24 hours before they were really ready to take flight so to speak um, it probably wouldn't have made it if you like you said if you hadn't gotten it and gotten it up and chances are one or both of the parents came back and fed it while it was still sitting up there. And then finally the little guy decided to flap his wings and figured out they work. So uh, you were just privileged to, to witness something that most people don't get to see. Yeah, we, we don't know if it's the same one that we rescued. The one that uh-huh. we rescued uh, didn't have those little, like, horns on it. And this uh-huh. one, you could start to see, we were starting to see the horns, and uh, we don't uh-huh. know how fast they grow. Now, again, it might have been one of the siblings, but boy, I hope there's a bunch of them back there because we back oh, up to yeah. a green belt, and there is plenty of food with the rats and mice back there. So, yeah, sure. we're going to keep a close eye out. In fact, I'm, I'm getting some nesting boxes ready for next year. Very good. And you know, of course, that the so called horns uh, are actually just feathers. And uh, the feathers are, they are a little slower to develop. Um, they, they've got a lot of uh, fuzzy little pin feathers and things to replace with real feathers. So not really unusual. Um, and, and barn owls, of course, uh, don't want you to say this is a screech owl. They have a, a bit of that. Uh, if you're privileged to see barn owls, which uh, uh, a friend, uh, in fact, my veterinarian friend, Dan Kirby, has some nesting in his neighborhood that are regulars, and, and they don't have the unusual feather pattern. So uh, it's just uh, I hope you've got kids or grandkids or friends that you can uh, show them something fun in nature that they might not get to see otherwise. Oh, my wife has passed it around out with her Facebook friends. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, you keep up the good work, and David, and I will uh, look forward to talking again. Let me know how that grass greens up, and, well, you do the same, sir. Thank you. All right, looks like we've got Don and then Mary. Uh, let's talk to Don. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. See, I'm down here. Morning, check this out. I've got a, a bumper bumper crop of tomatoes, but I have a a, a little problem. Uh, when I, I pull them, when they get just uh, start getting pretty red, you know, orange, but pretty red, and but uh, I have a problem with uh, they start rotting at whether you pull them off the vine. That you that, them, I set them down that part down, and then you go around and you, uh, in a uh, day or two later, it, there'll be just be a big old it'd be right right on the square that like you pull it off. And I didn't know that's that. unusual. Yeah, it's most people see what's called blossom end rot on the bottom end of the tomato, which is just a mineral deficiency. If they're getting some kind of of rot near the point that they're attached. Uh, probably it's uh, got something to do, some kind of physical damage. Could be a bird peck, could be a little caterpillar. That's the most common culprit that uh, kind of eats its way in. Why they 
pick that spot to start and and then of course the tissue around it just collapses so um uh, i would probably spray some bt not over your whole garden but over your tomato area and uh, that should stop it because there's no reason that you should get a rot started there unless there's been some sort of physical damage so um that that would be my guess now of course uh <clears throat> excuse me if you if you see uh, the black appearing on the other end of the tomato it doesn't get as soft it usually gets hard but that's just yeah. a mineral uh imbalance between calcium and magnesium and simply need to put some epsom salts on and yeah. wouldn't hurt to put some epsom salts around anyway but if uh yeah, if the damage is I'll, I'll put yeah. salt on it, you know, twi- that's about twice, a, you know, a season. And, uh, yep. But they, they just, uh, when I pull them off the vine, there's a little stem on there. And when I, I uh, had a problem with them, the stem, and put them in a bag, thinking them, they would poke, a, poke the other tomato. So I started sure. breaking that little stem off. And uh, so then I come in here, last time I picked them out, I, I left the stem on them. So I didn't know uh-huh. whether, I can't see, I haven't you know, seen any rotten on it, but they, yeah. there's no I, spot. I, pull them off; they look perfect. You know. Yeah. Just, well, I would, I would tend, up. I would tend to leave the stem on. And in all honesty, I'd take a little pair of uh, you know sharp bladed garden shears. Uh, rather, since you are picking them before they're fully ripened, before they just you know easily separate from the stem, I'd be yeah. clipping them off rather than uh, pulling them off because it could just be you know little physical damage, and at that point the fungi, the bacteria, whatever, uh, move in uh, very quickly. But I, yeah, I, you know, they make those little; they're about four inches long. Uh, little sharp pointed, very sharp little garden scissors, yeah. shears, whatever you want to call them, and I think I'd be, I think I'd be snipping them off rather than pulling them off, and don't store them in a bag. You know, keep them one layer thick wherever you have them, right. Um, right. spread them out, and I, I think that problem would be minimized, uh, and it wouldn't hurt to spray with a little BT. Again, don't spray it all over the garden, but uh, there's not the big old hornworms, but there's a little bitty green worm that sometimes, and that's the place that usually starts chewing on a tomato and that'll sure get some rot started in a hurry but mix up your bt and add just a little molasses to it and uh that should put an end to any of that sort of problem yeah i, I planted marigolds around and it seemed like it helped a lot with about the bugs the only thing i have i'll probably once in a while i'll find those little blister bugs and then when they bite them they yeah they you know they do they you know but they they don't bite there but i just didn't understand why so usually when i pull them off they break off uh it real easy, or, or they'll uh-huh. break off and leave a little stem on the end of them. And, right, and, uh, right. Which when I put them in a bag, picking them up, HEP bag, well, I noticed it was poking them, uh, thing, so I've been I've been breaking that off, so maybe I'm breaking it off too soon. I think and, you're probably uh, being a little too vigorous with it. It it should, in fact, I judge the ripeness of tomato about of how easily it separates from that little stem. Uh, if you right. want to know that it is fully vine ripened, but uh, I think that's all you're all, all you're looking at there, and I don't think it's uh, I think it's probably probably going to go away for you, Don. So, wouldn't worry too much about it. Right, uh, I've got uh, I've got some uh, Cherokee purple tomatoes that are eight foot tall and up about seven foot up. I've got a uh, I picked a tomato that's a little over ten ounces that high. <laughs> oh wow. You're doing you're doing well. One other thing I will tell you about marigolds is that uh, 
I, I'm not crazy about planting them around tomatoes. That's something they do up north, supposedly, to repel nematodes. But um, it's always been my experience that marigolds tend to bring in a large number of spider mites, which can be a real problem out in the garden. So be sure you're spraying regularly with liquid seaweed. Uh, to keep the spider mites under control, or they will, they will do more damage uh, to your plants than any any benefit they possibly bring. So, be spraying at least every couple of weeks with some liquid seaweed to reduce your mite problems. Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Actually, I just couldn't figure out because I've got I'm going to they got a farmers market here down here in Portland today, and I'm going to go down there. I got about 200 tomatoes. I'm going to sell. <laughs> Well, you you enjoy uh, the fruits of your labor, so to speak, Don. It's good to hear from you and uh, talk to Mary and then Greg. Uh, Mary's up next. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Thank you. Good. Um, I have a marigold, or not a marigold, I was listening to him, um, a rosemary plant. Okay. And it's not that old, but all of a sudden it just started dying. It just turned brown, and it just that brown is, is growing. I don't know... What I'm doing wrong or what? And I do have How often? touch with plants that's not good. <laughs> well, it's uh, I, I had an old friend that I used to find an expert as a person who's killed at least a thousand plants. So I will be a, admit to being an expert several times over. How often are you watering your rosemary? Well, when it was warm, I was I was watering it every day. Is that too much? That's way too much. Way, way, way too much. You you want to water really thoroughly when you water. I mean, there's no such thing as too much water at one time. But if rosemary stays too wet, and especially considering that we have some have had some pretty good rains along, uh, it, it, that will that'll cause those roots to rot and it will go downhill in a hurry. Don't water until you can stick your finger down in the soil and it's dry an inch deep. Um, if those plants have been planted any time, I'm guessing that's going to be Oh, no more than every four to five to six days. Now, raised up in a flower pot or something, that would be different. But in the ground, rosemary is one of our most drought-tolerant plants. So I think you're just uh, watering it a lot more frequently than you need to, and that's probably what's causing the problem. I do have it in a huge pot. Okay. Uh, It will dry out a little bit more quickly, but a small plant in a big pot uh, that's also a, a mistake because they dry unevenly. If you want a rosemary in a big pot, you need to move the pot size up gradually. If you buy a little four-inch plant, uh, go into a gallon container for a while and then maybe to an eight-inch pot for a while. Let it get a really good root system before you put it in its big permanent home because until the roots really fill out that pot, it will not dry out evenly, and I would be almost certain that water is your problem here. So uh, by the same token, you water very thoroughly when you water, but in that pot it will be even easier. Stick your finger down in, and until that upper inch or maybe even two inches of soil really feels dry, it's not time to water again. All right. My other question on my tomato and my peppermint uh, plant, it has little lines on the leaves. I didn't see any bugs on it anywhere, mm-hmm. but it has a little line on it. Yeah, there, those, there's a little bug inside the leaf, uh, actually the larval of a larval state of a bug. It's called a leaf miner, a vegetable leaf miner, and it'll leave those leaves looking like road maps. And uh, they, they just eat their way back and forth. They don't really do enough damage to be seriously concerned about. If you want the plants to look a little nicer, just pinch off those leaves and uh, 
dispose of them, don't put them in the compost pile because then the next generation just comes out through the bottom of the leaf and starts over. You, The more organic you stay, there's actually a little wasp that comes in and can lay its egg into the leaf miner. It's, uh, Disney did some pictures a while back, videos of uh, this little insect walking back and forth on top of the leaf. They did this over at Epcot, uh, which has some pretty good scientific uh, people on the staff. But uh, they're just called a vegetable leaf miner. The little wasp walks back and forth and, in effect, parasitizes and kills the leaf miner. And ultimately, you'll probably get a big enough colony of those that you won't see it very often. But uh, it's a very common issue. I'm not really going to cause it a problem because it... Uh, it is really strictly cosmetic. It's nothing to really worry about. But if you want to just pinch those leaves off and, uh, you know, bag them up and get rid of them, at least let them, let them go through a pretty good heating process before you put them in the compost pile, but uh, uh, not, not going to cause serious damage to your plants. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your help. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. And let's uh, let's get started with Greg. Greg, if we need to hold you through the news break in about two, minute we, two minutes, we will. But good morning. Morning. Hey, Bob. So I, I got some uh, tangerine cross vines from you. I, got, I bought them twice. I bought, a, bought some three or four years ago, and they've exploded and grown great. And got to cut them back so much because they grow too much. But about a year ago, <laughs> I mean, they're crazy. And then I planted some more about a year ago. They're only about 50, 40 yards away from the other ones, and these just haven't grown very well at all. They, they, they're growing, but extremely slowly. The, the leaves are very pale. Uh, the, the little veins on the leaves are a little green, but the, the leaf itself is almost a yellow to very light green. And there's, mm-hmm. I've noticed now there's brown spots all over everything. You've got you've, you've, apparently one spot has much better soil than the other. Um, you can correct that. Uh, just be sure that you've got good drainage there. Tangerine bee cross finds another plant that doesn't want to stay just soggy wet. But I would be fertilizing regularly, probably with a liquid fertilizer like Hestagrow, and I would get some of this product that my last caller was just talking about called Azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. Uh, it's kind of like green stands on steroids, and it gives your plants all the micronutrients they need, um, along with your growing, uh, your uh, your Hestagrow. That should get them greened up and growing a whole lot better. Uh, the second spot, have you noticed that the soil is any more clay-like? It may be. I mean, I didn't I didn't pay that close attention, but I mean... Yeah. Greg, Greg let's do this. Let, let me let Don put you on hold, and we'll come back and talk about this just a little bit more. Right after news here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening. And, hey, I do have a number of open phone lines. Uh, give me a call, 210-599-5555. Get to talk with Greg just a little bit more about uh, his Tangerine Beauty cross vines. And, uh, Greg, are both of them on the same watering schedule? And are they watered by sprinklers? Do you water them by hand, drip irrigation? How do you water both both areas of cross vines? They're, they're both facing the same direction, the same side of the house. The first set I got about three years ago, I really, I mean, I fed them probably 
you know, every couple months for the first year. Uh-huh. And they grew, like I said, they grow great. The second ones, I kind of, since they, I, I assume they're like weeds almost, I, I kind of ignored them. I did put, that, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to the trouble, but I put, I, I did plant them with has to grow liquid and uh-huh. a couple drops of that miracle juice you talk about. I can't remember what it's called. Super um, Thrive. Yeah, there you go. So, and, but they're on the same watering schedule, and they're they're literally twenty five yards from each other. But all four of the ones that are, and you know, they're pale. And they got those brown spots. So, I, I, I mean, I can, I've got some, I have azomite I can hit them with, and I've got Hastegrow. I could do that more often, see if that perks them up. Do both of those things, and do mulch them a bit. Uh, I would use compost rather than, or at least a living mulch that has some compost in it. What you're describing with the brown spots and you know just the weak, weak kind of wimpy growth, they just they're just not growing the root system that they should. And uh, I'd be using that has to grow regularly. You will get these things well enough established and. Uh, it, it could be you, you don't know what's if if they're fairly close to the house you can't tell what kind of construction crud uh, got buried there when they when they built your home and it may just be that the soil is just just much worse in that area but you can turn it around they're, those plants are like you say quite vigorous their roots will grow beyond whatever it is that's kind of holding them back a little bit but i'd be using the has to grow maybe a little garret juice certainly a little bit of super thrive and uh, they should certainly turn around the leaves that are not looking real great right now probably are not going to change but watch the newest growth when the new leaves coming out start looking better you'll know you're you've gotten ahead of the curve and the problem's just going to improve from then on okay and, so, and this these brown spots that's not some kind of weird disease that rings a bell no no it's it's not uh it, it could be a fungal issue but if it is it is strictly stress related uh and you help get a better root system on those plants you're gonna take that stress away and the plants should do much much better for you okay i'll give it a try thank you so much keep me posted want to know how they do uh, me too I'll, i sure will all right thanks so much greg all right looks like it's gonna be ron and then gloria ron is up first good morning ron bob how are you i've got two three quick questions i've got some thinkers or periwinkles and they're uh-huh. about a Two gallon pots and they're they're doing the majority of them are doing fine but the one started one of the tributaries started turning and i thought it was water and it wasn't and then now the whole plant is kind of going what's, what's going on with that i water them about once every three days i use garret juice and i don't know maybe it's just old they're old plants so i don't know if it's mm-hmm. just that past the time if you were to look real carefully at the plants do you see a brown area on the side of the stem as they get down toward ground level and do the symptoms of uh, leaves just all of a sudden start wilting and the whole plant starts shriveling? Is that what you're seeing? Yes, yes. I don't know about it the is, brown thing, but that's the yeah. other thing, shriveling. and then, yeah. It, it's a disease. Uh, the disease is called Phytophthora wilt. You don't have to spell that or anything. It's uh, a couple of things about it. First of all, anytime you're buying the plants, be sure and get one of the newer varieties. There's a whole series coming in a lot of different colors called Cora, C-O-R-A. Uh, there's another one called X-D-R. Uh, those are two of the most phytophthora-resistant periwinkles out there, and uh, 
Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the growers are still growing some of the older ones that are much, much more susceptible to the disease. The second thing is that um, they really do not like overhead watering. If you've got water coming down on the leaves, and obviously you can't control what the rain does, but when you are watering, rather than just standing there dousing the plant from the top, Try to get underneath it with your hose or however you're watering and apply the soil or apply the water to the soil. Leave the leaves dry because that's where the disease usually comes from. The spore of this disease lands on the leaf of a susceptible plant in a drop of water and it germinates, starts to grow in the plants. One day they're looking good, the next day they're, you know, kind of droopy and three days later the whole thing is just shriveling up. Uh, but it is, the disease is called phytophthora wilt. You start with getting varieties that are resistant to it, and uh, then you work to try to keep that foliage as dry as possible. And once they start down, it's hard to bring them back. If you, you know, if you water them when they look like this and they don't perk up, you can almost assume it's phytophthora wilt, and I, I get it out of there because it can spread from plant to plant, but uh, it is very controllable. <laughs> And if you'll uh, if you look for the new and improved varieties, you'll have much less problem with it in the future. Okay, super. I'll then pull that up and get a new one. <laughs> the other one, I have a big fig tree, and it's in the uh, nice morning sun. It's probably 12, 13, 15 feet high. One of the branches, it looks like it shrivels up during the sun, and then at night it kind of comes back a little bit. But it's just one branch. I don't know if it's uh-huh. – I, I looked for it. I didn't see any damage on it. But it's, uh, you know, it's a part of – five-year-old fig tree but and it's huge the whole thing is healthy as a dog mm-hmm. so i don't know what what could be causing that one branch to kind of shrivel up i think it's probably lingering cold damage figs are not real cold hardy and when you get as you know we've had two bad winters out of the last three and a lot of times you'll have damage that doesn't really show up and quite often it's just on one or two limbs usually on the north side of the plant usually the most exposed and everything rocks along fine in the spring when the weather's not stressful and then all of a sudden it starts getting hot the plants start getting stressed and it's not unusual to have a limb die here or there it doesn't mean the whole plant's in trouble it just means that you know a few of the limbs uh, got hit by that unusually cold weather we had and uh, the others around it as you said that tree is very very vigorous and it's going to grow beyond any damage so uh, it's nothing to worry about so should i cut that one off then just cut cut that limb off it'll look a lot nicer and chances are that limb's going to die anyway and if your fig is as vigorous as most you're not even going to miss it when it's gone yeah. so no, um, yeah yeah okay. and uh i I, I would I would think it's probably just some residual winter damage. Okay, and the last question: I need to plant some Bermuda. I got some Douglas some Douglas seeds, some Bermuda seeds, but I, I uh-huh. got to put it on a couple of acres. Okay, I got blue stem out there now, and I want to get rid of that. So I threw some seed out there oh, about a month ago, and you know we had some pretty good rain, but it just doesn't seem to be coming up. I, I don't know how you would do that. For, for it, that much acre. <clears throat> Yeah, it needs um, regular moisture, and one other thing that will really help is if you will kind of pre-treat the seed, and uh, 
Um, you know, you Bermuda grass grows pretty far. A pound of Bermuda seed will will do like a thousand square feet. But um, bigger seed, we we can soak it in Garrett juice. But it would be worth trying at least in a smaller area. Take a pound or two of that seed and spread it out on parchment or something like that, and mix up a little Garrett juice and just mist over the seed. For whatever reason, uh, it really seems, and this goes pretty much for all seeds, especially small seeds, as since you can't very well soak it and then dry it out and then plant, spread that seed out, just mist over it with the garret juice, let it dry, and then plant. I think you'll find that that's going to get your seed germinating a lot faster. And were it a smaller area, I would tell you, you know, just water it four times a day until it sprouts and starts growing. Obviously, on a couple of acres, you can't do that. Right. But uh, giving a little pretreatment with garret juice, I think, is going to is going to help you a lot, especially if the rains continue. Otherwise, we're kind of at the mercy of the weather, and mercy. thank goodness we we have much more moisture coming down than we did past two or three years. But um, the other, uh, and I'm sh- sure you've gotten good fresh can- seed from Douglas King, but try try pre-treating a bit with the garret juice and see if that doesn't make a difference. Okay, and you don't bury it or nothing. You just throw it out and let it let it land on the surface and go from there, right? You can do that. Um, it will help. Uh, it'll make it easier. I'll put it that way. You don't don't really bury it, but uh, if you can go over it with just a not even a disc harrow, just go over it with a drag or something like that that would just yeah, rough the yeah just just drive over it like that, and uh, you'll rough up the soil just a little bit. Uh, if it gets you know a quarter of an inch below the surface, that's going to hold the moisture and it's going to germinate a lot faster. But no, I, I wouldn't go to the trouble of. Uh, you know, a disc hair or anything like that, but just just a good drag over the area, I think, is going to. And it might be, it would be a real good idea to do that before you put the seed down. In fact, if you wanted to eat real lightly, either chisel it or go over it with a disc harrow, then loosen the soil before you put your seed on top of it, and uh, I think you'll find you get a bit of the seed buried. And once it gets underneath the soil, which holds so much more moisture, uh, then it's going to grow up in a hurry. You don't want to bury it too deeply, obviously, but anything you can do to rough the surface up before you plant or even a little bit after you put your seed out. And don't worry if it drags the seed into a little bit unusual pattern because once that Bermuda starts growing, it's going to spread like wildfire. Okay, Bob, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Appreciate the call, Ron. Thank you, sir. All right, got to get a break in here. Uh, It's going to be Gloria and then Brenda will be my next two callers. But right this minute, I get to talk to you for a moment about Kinetico water softeners. And once again, love to talk about a product. Excuse me. Uh, uh, that just works so well. And like everything else, there are so many competitive things going on out there. You hear commercial after commercial for your standard plug-in water softener. And uh, just talking to my engineer here and about the lightning storm last night and damage caused by lightning to transformers and, and things like that. But one of the other things, you get a good close lightning strike, you can get a power surge that will just burn out the little computer in those plug-in type water softeners. Never going to happen with the Kinetico system because it doesn't run on electricity. It runs on the kinetic energy in the water. Stop worrying about power surges or power outages. And by the way, you will save money, you will save salt, you will save water because they don't 
recharge on a preset schedule. They only recharge when the rods and needs to be recharged. Twin tank system so you never run out of soft water. I just don't see why everybody doesn't have a Kinetical water softener. I love mine. Had it for probably close to 20 years now. If you're tired of of worrying about your water softener, tired of putting so much salt into those things, you really ought to check out a Kinetico. They'll even let you try it for 90 days before you buy. Uh, check them out online if you like at KineticoSA.com or give them a call anytime at 656-PURE. That's 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be uh, Gloria, Brenda, and Gilbert, my next three callers. And Gloria is first in line. Good morning, Gloria. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Good morning. On my, my prize winning pumpkins, they're losing some leaves beginning at the base. Well, I, I just have one that I'm concerned about. Uh, they turn yellow and then they die off. Uh, but the rest of the plant looks great. It's about 30 feet long. But mm-hmm. is it okay to cut those off? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm consistent oh, yeah. with watering for a or so. Yeah, it's, it, they're just the original leaves. And with time, okay. they age. And uh, uh, the any, any plant, and this is a real good point to uh, bring up. I'm glad you asked. But uh, any plant, you judge the health of the plant by looking at the newest growth on the plant, whether it's a flowering plant, whether it's a shrub, whether it's a tree, or whether it's a pumpkin. So long as the newest leaves developing out on the tip of the vine are looking good, then your plant's doing well. And I would not hesitate to uh, cut off any, you know, any old. I would just to be on the safe side since your object is uh, (laughs) blue ribbons or gold medals or whatever else. Trim when you're doing it. uh, And and if if the leaf is already shriveled and dry, it doesn't make as much difference. But use clean shears. Uh, with hydrogen peroxide or even bleach or something like that, just wipe the blades of the shears off because all the cucurbit family, the squash, the pumpkins, the melons, there are some diseases that can be transferred in the sap. So just be sure your pruning shears are are good and clean. And um, it's probably not absolutely necessary, but we don't want to take any chances on on this uh, pumpkin that's going to be a monster. Yes, yes. Well, that's that's very encouraging. And uh, foxglove, and I uh, have the seeds. Can do they grow well here? For a while, yes, <laughs> but they don't like okay. our summertime. Not really the time to plant them. You want to plant them late winter, early spring. They're beautiful while the weather stays cool, and then that's pretty much the end of it when Texas heat hits. But they are absolutely spectacular for the for the time they last but they're sure not going to be around all summer so plant them in the fall plant them in the fall or you know late fall or early winter just so they'll be up and growing uh and you'll have plenty of time to enjoy the blooms before hot weather hits okay super i'll do that thank you so much it's my pleasure thank you for the call uh brenda's next in line good morning brenda Bob. good morning I have three uh, questions for you. The first one, uh, a about a two-inch green fat caterpillar ate my penta. Um, okay. And I just wondered, uh, I, I 
got them up and I squashed them uh, and <laughs> I haven't seen them back. But uh, he was full of green stuff, I guess, right. uh, you know, from the leaves. and He, he was just I, digesting the leaves of your pentas. So, yeah, yes. it's probably it's a hornworm of some sort. And I don't know why, but pentas are one of their favorite foods. You can either spray periodically with spinosad, which is a very safe pesticide that if it comes in contact with the caterpillars, it will kill them. Or you can mix up a little bit of BT. Now, don't ever just go out and spray the whole garden with BT because we don't want to wipe out all the caterpillars, just just the ones that uh, happen, to, happen to be eating Brenta's pentas. But uh, mix up a little BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, and add just a little bit of molasses to it. It'll make it last much longer and work much better. But this way, you don't actually have to get it on the caterpillar. This is a bacteria that stays on the leaves of the plants. Caterpillar takes one bite of a leaf that has it on it stops feeding immediately and dies within a few hours but um yeah it's a big old moth that comes in at night and lays the eggs and uh boy those horn hornworms like you say they can practically eat a whole plant overnight oh they ate uh five of them so yep. uh, and just one day i just noticed it was yeah overnight uh, another thing that the caterpillars uh that are that eat the calla lily leaves mm-hmm. Uh, not the calla lily, but the, um, oh. Um, cannas, probably. Cannas. <clears throat> right. It's a different caterpillar. It's probably a black fuzzy caterpillar called a woolly bear. But uh, the same, same BT will totally eliminate them. Just spray the foliage with it, and um, they, they will be a problem of the past. Okay. I'll, I'll get some of that. And also... On my Belinda's Dream, uh, I've noticed a couple of the stems have this white fuzzy stuff growing on it. Um, is that garlic spray? Garlic spray will help prevent it. it. It probably is powdery mildew. Hot, dry weather will also stop it. If it looks like really thick, it could be a weird little insect called a leaf hopper that just kind of has a cottony material that leaves all up and down the stems. And you can identify it if you run your finger over the area. You'll see what looks like a little piece of that cotton just jump and, you know, can go two or three feet away. Uh, they're not... A big enough nuisance to worry about. I mean, they they do virtually no damage and just kind of wash wash it off with the garden hose. But if it is, if it seems to be something, gosh, almost uh, I hate to say fuzzy, but that's sort of the appearance that seems to be a part of the leaf, then that is going to be a fungus of probably powdery mildew. You can prevent it to a large degree with a garlic spray. You can cure it. Uh, spraying with something like, you know, corn water tea, soak some whole ground cornmeal in water, spray on the leaves and, uh, and on stems and all. And that will really work against both powdery mildew and black spot. Unfortunately, if it is, the mildew is just one of the bad sides of all the good rains that we've been getting. Uh, it's not going to be a serious threat to your plant, but look at it real carefully. See if it is truly a, a powdery mildew or if it might not be leaf hoppers because both of them are pretty active this time of year. Okay, I'm going to go out there this morning and take a look. Thank you. I appreciate your help. Yes, I appreciate the call this morning. You have a wonderful weekend. Appreciate it, Brenda. Thank you. All right, uh, hang on just a minute, Gilbert. I've got to go 
get a quick break in here and you'll be up next. I get to talk to you about Nature's Creation and all of their fine gardening products, all natural and organic. They just they they do things properly. They do a lot of different different products, especially compost and mulches and soils. They package a great cornmeal product they call fungicide cornmeal. This morning, though, they want me to focus on one of their liquid products, which is called Cedar Repel, and one of their dry products, which is also called Cedar Repel. In the case of the dry, it's sort of a granular material made from cedar. In the case of the liquid, it's just a cedar oil that actually comes in a sprayer ready to hook on your hose and spray. And cedar oil does a lot of different things. It repels a lot of things that you don't want around the garden, everything from chiggers to various insects and to a certain extent even reptiles. Uh, A lot of folks are afraid of snakes and spraying a little cedar repel around usually encourages them to go somewhere else. But I especially like it because it does run the chiggers off and boy this time of year if you're out in Bermuda grass or most any of the native grasses you can sure get eaten up with chiggers before you know it uh, the cedar repel sprayed out there periodically on your Bermuda lawn will just totally get rid of the chiggers and that'll benefit your pets that'll benefit your kids and grandkids that may be out there rolling around in the grass cedar repel is just a safe natural product that helps in a lot of different ways you're going to find it a lot of different places too the plant house both the new brothels and up in Kerrville both locations are rainbow gardens uh, Millburgers, hill country african violets up in uh, Bernie coarse shades of green we carry a lot of different great products from nature's creation south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right back to gardening on this nice nice saturday morning out there i tell you it is just a gorgeous morning following i haven't really looked around to see uh, how much rain fell around the area but i think it was a pretty good amount in a lot of areas and uh, boy most welcome storm when you get that much lightning in it too it just really does put some other good things into the rainwater that's one thing that just makes it so much better than that water you have to you have to buy from a utility company or even what you pump out of the ground it's just magical stuff let's get back to gardening and get back to the phone lines gilbert is next in line good morning gilbert morning bob good morning i got a couple of questions uh, do you recommend when I, when i fertilize i got the steam grass uh-huh. to uh, also spread some azomite and is alfalfa good for the for the uh for the saint augustine grass if i i'll answer your last question first um Alfalfa-based fertilizer products are very good fertilizers. Just raw alfalfa, I, if you wanted to use it for a mulch around the garden or something, I would say that would be a good thing. But on the lawn, um, I, I don't think I'd you know, be using just straight alfalfa. But an alfalfa-based fertilizer like the one that Nature's Creation makes are very, very good products. Uh, alfalfa is a legume, which means it... Uh, grows with the little nodules that are able to convert nitrogen with bacteria in them are able to convert nitrogen to a form plants can use so uh, alfalfa is a uh, is a great product to use but more around the garden than on the lawn now as far as azomite 
Azomite is a really good source of micronutrients. It's a little pricey, and it may not be necessary. Uh, the reason they call them micronutrients is that it only takes a very tiny amount of them. And um, if you're using a good quality fertilizer, something like Medina Makes or Maestro Grow or Nature's Creation, you probably don't really need to supplement it. But uh, if you uh, if your yard showing any stress, showing any you know, lack of color to it. Azomite is a great product to use, but uh, it's not something I'm going to tell you is absolutely mandatory every time you fertilize. Just I tend to I tend to use it when I first plant things, and then I'll follow up with a little bit more if any problems develop. But uh, I'd like I say it's a great part of your planting regimen, but I wouldn't spend the money to just try to add it every time. Okay. No, that alfalfa I was asking because they have a they have a um topsoil that has alfalfa in it and that's what uh-huh. i was asking about the alfalfa I, it's it's good stuff, but it's not really magical. Uh, if you know if you're raising rabbits or something like that that eat a lot of alfalfa, it makes their manure especially good. Or if somebody ever gave you an old bag of rabbit chow and you don't have rabbits, uh, throw it out. It, it's good fertilizer in and of itself. Okay, All right. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to Rosa. Good morning, Rosa. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Bob, I just love your show, first of all. And well, thank uh, you. I've got a little problem about, I've got a pecan that's probably like 30 years old, probably 30, mm-hmm. feet, 30 feet tall. And the last two years it's been struggling to put out leaves. But this year I have no canopy on it whatsoever. But I do have growth from the base to about maybe the first six feet of this thing. And so okay. I wanted to know if I should uh, just give up on the canopy on the top part and just cut it off and start over, maybe prune all of the new growth and just maybe leave two or three branches out and let it start from there, or if I should just wait it out and see if uh, if it will recover. I know it probably well, has it, something to do with, you know, the drought and then the severe... <laughs> Those were exactly the two two things that would affect it. Uh, if you just leave it, nothing's going to happen. Uh, if there's any life in the top of the tree, then the way you will stimulate that to come out is just take your pruning shears or get somebody. You said it's a fair-sized tree, but not a monster. Cut the limbs back by about a third anywhere that you can. A lot of times if a tree is in stress, uh, the limb may still be alive, but it just doesn't have the energy to begin to leaf out again. When you cut it back, it kind of concentrates the hormones that are moving through the sap of the plant, and it just it, it concentrates them right around that cut area. And sometimes, many times, this will cause the little dormant leaf buds to sprout and begin to grow. A lot of time, if a plant just can't seem to do what we call breaking dormancy, which basically just means coming out in the spring, if it just doesn't seem to have the energy to do that, trimming the limbs back by about a third will stimulate it into new growth. That's where I would start. Um, If it doesn't, if you don't get any growth on top, then yes, you will need to probably cut probably all except one of the strongest growths coming out. And even then, that's, that's not nearly as good as having the growth coming out from the top of the tree. So start by, you know, by 
cutting back those limbs by about a third. If you wanted to just spray down the, the bare limbs with something like Super Thrive, Garrett Juice, any good products like that, that can also be of help. But let's try to figure out if the top of the tree is alive or not uh, before we start cutting too much on the base. Okay, so leave the base like it is. It's almost covered. The whole thing, the first like the first five, uh, six feet of this pecan is, has leaves growth on it. Yep. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. If you want to thin those out a little bit, you can. But do look down at the base and be sure that that root flare is exposed. That's the other thing that pecan trees are so often buried too deeply, and that weakens the plant and makes them more susceptible to cold damage, more susceptible to drought damage. You should, on a pecan tree, you should see the base of that trunk. She should have a very visible flare where it's starting to expand out close to ground level. If you don't see that, you need to start pulling the soil back away from the trunk until you get down to the point where you see those roots starting to come out. That being buried too deeply, pecan trees, crepe myrtles, those are probably the two most commonly buried plants. And uh, exposing that lower part of the trunk is going to be the very best thing you can do. Okay. So if... Uh... So you're suggesting not to prune the, the where all the new growth is or just prune some of it a little bit back? Yeah, thin it out a little bit. But on the top, um, cut those individual limbs back by about a third. You can judge as you do that. If everything just seems brittle, well, the limbs may be dead. But if they seem to be supple a bit, a lot of times that pruning back will stimulate some new growth. If you do start getting new growth up on the top of the tree, at that point, I would really thin out those shoots down at the base, force the tree to put its growth higher up. Okay. All right. And if, if after I do all of that and I have no results, then just go ahead and top it off, cut the top part of it off? And you might as well. If it's, just, if it's just dead tissue. The problem is that if you – and how big in diameter is the trunk of this tree? How thick through? It's pretty good size. It's probably maybe, I would say, probably about maybe nine, okay. nine over nine inches in the eye. Yeah. I, I, if it were a smaller tree, it would have a much better chance of coming back out and making a strong trunk. The problem with uh, new shoots coming off right at the base of the tree They just, and it's funny, I was reading an article that described it uh, just this morning, sitting out here waiting for it to get started, but um, the the new shoots that come off from the side of of a trunk like that are just not nearly as physically strong. They're just, they'll, they'll never make quite as strong as the trunk that developed, you know, from the seed and the roots that grew straight down. So... Let's do everything we can to get the top of the tree coming out first, and uh, if not, we'll talk about uh, what to do. It, it, much as I hate to say it, sometimes it's better, if it's a big tree like that, sometimes it's just better to start with a new tree. If it's a small tree, two or three inches in diameter, a lot of times you get a much stronger shoot coming off the base. But let's deal with that uh, after we figure out if the top of the tree is alive. All righty. Well, I thank you so much for for your information, your help, and love your show, like I said. Well, Rosie, you're very kind, and I sure appreciate you listening, and always glad to be here for you. You have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, got to get a break in here. After that, it will be, let me see who's been on here longest. Next up will be Billy, and then it'll be Steve. Right now, though, I get to talk with you about Wild Birds Unlimited. 
And I just so do enjoy talking about Wild Birds Unlimited because it's just such a neat store. Kyle and his staff out there are so knowledgeable and so helpful. Fun place to visit, whether you're shopping for yourself, if you're looking for a great gift for a friend. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited is just, you will always find beautiful things there. Not only bird products, but nice gift merchandise as well. All Wild Birds Unlimited stores do carry the fine products from Wild Birds Unlimited, but then each store shops individually for their gift merchandise, and uh, just nobody does a better job of it. Summer's coming. Looking for a good Tilly hat? I tell you, still the best way to protect you protect your skin from that summer sun. Wild Birds Unlimited has a great stock of Tilly hats. I think that's where uh, both of my Tilly hats have come from and um, just one of the many, many gift items you're going to find out there. And speaking of birds, there are so many beautiful birds, both the ones that are migrating through the area and our native birds. Wild Birds Unlimited has the very best in feeders, many of them with a lifetime guarantee. They make their seed blends for the season they know birds eat different things summer and winter and they're going to help you feed the proper material if you're looking for a new hummingbird feeder they have the built-in ant stoppers i I just can't go can't say too many nice things about wild birds unlimited just love shopping there myself and happily recommend that you go see them they're in the shopping center out there at the corner of northwest military and hebner kind of on the side that faces northwest military they're set well back from the road so uh just they'll give you a good starting point to find them you will thoroughly enjoy a trip to wild birds unlimited South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, turning into a even more beautiful morning out there getting to be a little bit uh, a little bit of daylight out there it's going to be a great day to get out i hope you're planning to come out the festival of flowers maybe i'll tell you a little bit more about that at the top of the hour but uh it is a one-day event it is san antonio's biggest one-day gardening event and it is just an absolutely wonderful occasion we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that right after the top of the hour right now we're going to get on with phone calls and uh billy is next in line good morning billy Good morning, Dr. Webster. Um, I've got a meteorological question. Is your buddy still sticking to the El Nino pattern we might be going into? He, uh, word from David uh, a couple of weeks ago is we are definitely out of La Nina, which is a very good thing. We are in the mid-phase thing that is called uh, enso-neutral. Sometimes weather pattern, depending on water temperatures, moves back into La Nina. Sometimes it goes in forward into El Nino. And he says all the indications are that it is moving into El Nino, which typically for us means in our part of the country, uh, it's not as good for some other areas because they get drier. But typically for us, it means wetter weather, cooler summers and warmer winters and uh, he says the El Nino is not firmly in place yet but it certainly appears that that's where we're headed which is a very very good thing that is outstanding is it the water temperature that causes the changes between the two 
It is, um, and and you're getting way beyond my area of expertise, but uh, David's taught me a little bit, and it's water temperature is the driving force behind a couple of different things. One of them is called the Madden-Julian Oscillation, or MJO. The other is called the Western Pacific Oscillation. And what the water temperature does with these air currents, uh, they simply start spinning off, more bands of energy that come west to east and that's what influences our weather in this part of the country and you now know more than i probably should say because i probably didn't get that all right but david if you're listening i i hope i at least got the the you know gist of it down but they base their forecast on what's happening on water temperatures in a part of the western pacific wow so it's not a it could change from year to year or just say static. Yeah, it it can change. It Generally, the cycle is a little bit longer. Uh, rarely is it as short as a year uh, in El Nino or La Nina, but uh, you're, you're getting beyond things that I'm I'm comfortably conversant about. So uh, maybe maybe someday we'll get him. He's a very busy man with uh with a family of uh of people that he has to look after. But uh uh I'll I'll get with him some more and see if he has other words of wisdom that I would be semi capable of repeating. Well I think you did an outstanding job. So, uh, <laughs> You're I, easily I fooled, Billy, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well no, no. Well, I'm just, I'm just thrilled. Uh, it is unbelievable how yeah. things have really come back. So, okay. Well, that's all I got. You have a wonderful day. And we'll well, you do this. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thank you, sir. All right, let's go and get Steve in here before the top of the hour news. Good morning, Steve. Bob, I have a Monterey Oak. The leaves on the end are turning a little bit brown. I believe it has a little bit of an iron deficiency. What is the best stuff to put on there? Well, first of all, check and be sure the root flare is exposed. That That is the most common reason for what you're describing. But uh, if it is indeed a mineral deficiency, iron or zinc or just about anything else, uh, green sand has always been the old standby. There is a better product out now called Azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. And uh, either one or both of those products will be a very good thing for your tree. But uh, check the base of that tree first. Be sure you see the the trunk of it flaring out. Uh, Howard Garrett and I are always joking that they shouldn't call it the root flare. They should call it the trunk flare because the trunk is what is actually flaring out. But uh, so many times trees get buried too deeply, and one of the first symptoms you see two or three, four years into the tree's life is uh, uh, problems out on the tips of the branches. So go ahead with your with your azomite, with your green sand, with your basic fertilizer, but also check to be sure that root flare is exposed. Okay. And, Bob, I, I put out some azomite across my yard, some, uh, some dried molasses, and uh, I'm still I fertilized it. I'm still having a lot of weeds in my in my. Uh, I have that tip four nineteen, and I think it's a zoysia that's coming up. How do I get rid of the zoysia and the Bermuda take over that? 
Uh, run it a little drier. Bermuda thrives in drier conditions. Oise and St. Augustine thrive in wetter conditions. Uh, don't ever water more than once a week when you water water very thoroughly. But let that grass get yeah. a little bit drier. Uh, tiff can be mowed a little bit lower. That will also work to suppress the leaves. Uh, uh, it'll be more water conservative if you let it get a little higher. But where you're fighting weeds, I would I would uh, greatly reduce uh, uh, the amount of or the well when you water water really thoroughly, but reduce the frequency of watering. Probably increase the frequency of mowing. And uh, it's it will choke out everything except St. Augustine. As long as it's in the sun, Tiff is one of our hardiest, toughest grasses. I water once a week, one inch a week. If it rains, I turn it off so it doesn't get any, get any more. You might, you might, especially this time of year, cut back to watering every 10 days. I doubt if you're... Uh, Tiff really needs it once a week, especially considering we've gotten some good rains in here. But uh, fertilize as well. Uh, Bermuda, all Bermudas, including Tiff, really love good organic fertilizer. So you can feed as often as every 90 days if you like, and that's also going to work to help your uh, Tiff choke out the weeds. Okay. Thank you much. You are certainly welcome, Steve. It's good to hear from you. Uh, Thank you, sir. Let's see here. Yeah, probably time for one more call, and that would be uh, that would be uh, Brenda is up next. Good morning, Brenda. Are you there, Brenda? Hello, hi, Brenda. Yeah, hi. good morning. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, thanks I'm for calling. Zucchini. Yes, I'm growing zucchini, and it's it's getting there. Uh, however, when I have fruit on it, it is. At the neck, it is not growing like it should, but it's okay. growing out at the, at the end. Okay. So, in other words, what you're telling me is that as the zucchini forms, the uh, the portion of the forming squash uh, is is bigger, and then as it moves further out, it's, it gets softer or it gets smaller and probably starts almost rotting? Just the reverse. The neck of Just the reverse. Right, the neck of it that is attached to the the stem uh, starts to narrow, and the back end of it, where the flower is, is mm-hmm. bulging out. That um, uh, and and it it still remains good and firm. You're not having any of it that's just seeming to collapse and rot. Yes. Okay. I, part of that is due to what we call incomplete pollination. Uh, you have to have one pollen grain move from the male flower to the what's called the stigmatic surface in the female flower for every seed that is going to be in that squash. And, you know, the zucchini probably has two or three or four hundred seed in it on average. And if the if it's not getting well enough pollinated, you'll have the portion of it that that is getting well pollinated will will nice be nice and big, but then somehow the plant senses that the seeds aren't going to develop further down, and the and the squash just gets skinnier and skinnier. So, anything you can do to increase the pollination, getting more bees into the garden, or even getting a little paintbrush uh, and just dusting around inside the male flower, and then take it and dust it around inside the female flower, you can do the job the bees aren't doing. It's been a very common problem this year. I'll have to tell you that. 
okay. Well, I will we'll see what I can do. So well, I can and do I I think you can, and uh, you can you can do a better job than the bees are doing, and I think you'll get much more. Um, much more uniform squash, which will also keep a whole lot better. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information. Well, I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Just a few seconds before news time here. So, uh, looks like, uh, after the news, Ron will be up and then Elaine. We are broadcasting today from the Festival of Flowers out at the Al Safar Shrine. Doors actually open about nine o'clock. Uh, seminars start, I think, at 10. Do the organic roundtable at one. Lots of fun reasons to come see us. This is KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Gardening. We'll get back to your phone lines in just a minute, but uh, we'll remind you that this is, gosh, I have to look and see how many annual this makes on the festival flowers well over 20 years but it's back where where we started out it's absolutely incredible out here at the al safar shrine and uh Anyway, it's going to be a great day. Uh, Saws has big place set up out here, and they're going to give you a free water saver plant. I see uh, all sorts of good things. Looks like some blue salvia. Looks like pineapple sage. Looks like some gorgeous things. You get a free plant just for coming in. And, uh, golly, you can go online and read more about it if you like. Uh, I believe the gate, the door admission's $8, worth every penny of it. Going to have a good series of seminars this morning. And 1 o'clock this afternoon, the Organic Roundtable. Uh, my panelists are going to be this year going to be Stuart Frankie, who owns Medina Agriculture. Great man to ask your questions of. Uh, Bruce Dooley, everybody remembers Bruce from his many years here on KTSA and still going strong and everybody misses having him on the air. So if you want to get to see him visit with Bruce, what a great day it would be to come out to the Festival of Flowers. Newcomer to the panel this year is Sam Sitterly. My friend who has Green Grow Organics, and Sam's been doing things organically for, oh, over 30 years. So really looking forward to having him on the panel. That all takes place today at 1 o'clock. So, and the, oh, I guess they call it the Garden Ball. There are all sorts of, I tell you, I've never seen so many different colors of desert rose. If you don't know what desert rose is, it is one of the most incredible tropical plants in the world and truly colors that I did not even know existed in that plant out here. Anyway, it'd just be a great day to get yourself out to the Festival of Flowers. House Far Shrine is, be careful out there because they got so much construction going on on Loop 1604. But uh, east or west, you want to take the uh, Stone Oak Parkway exit and then uh, continue headed west. Or if you're coming from the east, then you sort of make a U-turn and go back to the west. Alzafar's uh, easy to spot, and uh, oh, anyway, lots of free parking. Uh, it costs you less to get through the door than it costs to park at most of the so-called garden events. So, sure hope to see you here before the day is over. Having said that, let's get back to phone calls. It's going to be Ron and Elaine and Megan and well, somebody was on line three there, but they hung up. So, anyway, we start with Ron down on line number four. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, you know, I can't listen to six hours of your show every weekend, so I may have missed this. And I know you're, <laughs> you're basically a, pl- a plant show, but I uh, I get the Texas Monthly. I don't know if you saw this article. I'd never heard of this worm called a hammerhead worm. There are several species of it. Right. Uh, yeah. It grows up to 12 inches, uh, at least one species does. It, has, it, it emits a, a, a neurotoxin of some sort in its skin. 
And it spreads, I've, I've been Googling this, it spreads through plants. They said it's very common to be spread through nurseries and greenhouses and things like that. But the problem is it kills earthworms. And I didn't know if you had mm-hmm. talked to, uh, to the dirt doctor about it or, or, or if anybody you know, else that's, mentioned it to you. That is, uh, I, I haven't read the article. Two or three people, well, I've, I've seen portions of it. And I'm not sure there's another little um, thing that has, a, the, the picture on it is, is a little different from anything I've seen before. What I had always seen before, I think it's actually a, a flatworm, platyalmenthes or something like that. And they... I I've never heard that they posed a major threat. They they do kill. I don't know what they eat. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but they supposedly will reduce to some extent earthworm populations. But earthworms are very resilient, and they reproduce a whole lot faster than this uh, so-called hammerhead worm. I'm making a note here. I will uh, I will ask Howard about it. Uh, and be sure that we are talking about the same thing. But uh, um, it's and, and the one thing I did not get out of the article or, or the portions of it I saw is whether this is an import from some other part of the world or whether it's something we just haven't talked about a whole lot. Do, do you recall well, it, where they it, said it these things? It, it, it is invasive. It said it came out of Southeast Asia. Uh, it won't do uh-huh. well in West Texas because it's too dry, too hot and dry, but it likes you know, humid, uh, uh, warm areas. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. oh, and they, they describe it, they put this in quotes. They said it's called immortal because if you chop it up, the pieces yep. regenerate. <laughs> right. Right. And it, that sounds just exactly like this, uh, planarian that we've, we had seen for a long time. And I, again, I, I'm not, terribly concerned because of the resiliency if you're interested in in worms uh, there is a lady named amy stewart um, who has written some really interesting off-the-wall books but uh, one of her is things with weird titles like the plant that killed lincoln's mother and uh, but one of her books is called the earth moved and um, I got it. A friend actually gave it to me on CDs, and it's like four hours of listening. I never knew that there was so much to know about earthworms. And if you if you get a chance to listen to that, it will certainly let you know how resilient earthworms are and how darn many different kinds of them there are. So uh, at this point, I'm I'm not gonna certainly not gonna panic over the hammerhead worms because kind of like you say, like fire ants, they can't exist where it's real dry. I suspect that our periodic droughts will help limit uh, the number of these things we see. But I, I think at at this point, I'm gonna categorize it as a nuisance rather than a threat. But um, beyond that, I I can't say that I've had a lot of experience with them. Okay, well. Thank you a lot. Um, I didn't know if you knew about them, and I'd never heard of them. Uh, and they do they do describe them as what planetarium or what's the other term you use? It's in the flat. Okay, world. well that, uh, yeah, yeah, um, uh, planaria, I believe, is the planaria, name of that yeah, genus. They do, uh, they do, yeah. Okay, well that that reassures me. Uh, the the <laughs> picture. Uh, and I've seen these things before. Um, they're they're kind of slimy. Um, 
and they're totally different. Uh, they're, earthworms tend to be segmented. These guys tend to be non-segmented. But I think the, the main thing is uh, anybody who finds these things or picks these things up in, uh, in the garden or whatever, like you just said, don't chop them up to try to get rid of them because you're only making more of them when you do that. A uh, little salty water <laughs> will do them in. Uh, but, again, it, it reassures me a bit because uh, my first experience with this little guy was probably 30, 35 years ago, and I've seen no significant decrease in my earthworm population. So uh, I, I don't think it's anything to panic over. I'll just put it that way. If we're concentrating on good organics, building organic material in the soil, we're going to have such a healthy earthworm population. I don't think they're really going to be threatened by these guys. But just one of those things to be aware of, to put in the back of your mind, and when you see them, destroy them. Yeah, well, thank you. And I've, I've heard you mention that book about earthworms. I've never read it but or listened to it, but I do know you've mentioned it before. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Enjoy your show. Ron, I appreciate the call, and um, I look forward to our next visit. Thank you, sir. You Goodbye. Bet. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Uh, let's go ahead and take one more call before we take a break, and that would be Elaine. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning. Okay. Everything's for you. Yeah. I'm in Lavernia, and I have a crepe myrtle, probably 15-plus years old. Uh, the base of it, I can't reach around with both um, with my arms. But, you know, they, they subdivide as they go up, and some of those subdivisions right. are six, eight, ten inches in diameter. So it's a big, <laughs> Sounds like a monster. <laughs> it is. It's a good 30 foot, and it is not coming back out this year except for on just a few branches way up high. What can I do to stimulate its growth, or do I just need to do, uh, what do you call it, when you cut a crepe myrtle down part way to get it to come back? Like well, murder? yeah, I, at this point, I I wouldn't go quite that far. Um, do you see the distinct root flare at the base of it? You said you really couldn't reach around it, but does it still look like a big telephone pole coming up out of the ground, or does it broaden out to where it's at least a third wider right at ground level than it is uh, a foot up? I've got a huge flare. Okay. My then, is, uh, probably three inches out of the ground. Where okay. Then I I and think your your yeah your your basic problem has probably been the drought. I think that uh, it has and is it is it light pink or the flowers light pink on it? Um. Yes, I believe this one is a pink one. Okay, that's probably the one called Basham's Party Pink, um, and a plant that big. Oh, golly, it's amazing how much water they use. I would mulch it fairly heavily, not right up against the trunk. Um, feed it uh, either with a good granular fertilizer. Put the fertilizer down first if you're using granules. If you're using a liquid, make up several gallons of Hastero plant or something like that. And uh, I would tend to trim any real bushy growth. If you're getting a lot of growth from the base, I would trim a lot of that back and on the longer limbs if you want to do what i described to a caller earlier and cut them back a bit especially in them that aren't putting on good growth cut them back by about a third i i think the plant will come out that is a very mature 
crepe myrtle. But uh, golly, these things can live a hundred years, and I really feel like probably its biggest problem is just three years of bad drought, and a big plant like that sometimes going to suffer more just from the amount of water that they need. But before we pull the panic button and start, you know, just getting crazy cutting it back, uh, I would just, I mean, lay the hose on the ground, maybe three feet, four feet out from the trunk. Just let it trickle slowly. Uh, I'm not going to tell saws what you're doing, but uh, uh, let it run for an extended period of time to really thoroughly saturate that soil if we go for more than two or three weeks without a good rain. Doesn't sound like any disease. They're not really susceptible to that, but uh, um, combination of extreme drought and then just a really cold winter we had. A lot of crepe myrtles have been slow to come out, but it, it's a tough, hardy plant. I think it will make it back for you. Okay, it now it's in a tiered flower bed. The tier its own is a good four or five foot wide, uh, uh-huh. but then there's a three foot step up tier to the next tier. So uh-huh. I should be watering that top tier so that it's going down to those that are out away from the base of that. Is that correct? You can certainly do that. I would. Uh, you know, most of the water uptake is done within about 10 feet of the trunk, and I would okay. I would water more than one area. I mean, watering that top tier yeah. is good, but do some watering, you know, even the ground around where this raised bed is because uh, that plant should have a fairly widely, you know, spaced out root system, and if we're putting all our water in one place, the plant's not getting as much water as it would uh, if we're getting the water over a little bit you know, more even area. And, and again, thank goodness for the strong rains uh, that we've had this yeah. spring. But uh, I'd, I'd be watering over a wider area, not necessarily more often, but probably more thoroughly. Okay. And it does fight with a huge oak tree for sun, some sun mm-hmm. in the morning. Uh, should I cut the oak back a little bit so it's getting full? If you, yeah, if you can, I very definitely would. If it's a live oak or a red oak, be sure to paint any any wounds you make, no matter how large or small, but no, if anything you can do to give that crepe myrtle more sun is going to make it a healthier plant. Okay. At 75, I'm going to get somebody out to climb the ladder. <laughs> if you were seven or five, I would still get somebody out to climb the ladder. I, I do believe that God intended for man to usually keep one foot on the ground at least, so uh, I, I would highly recommend you get somebody else to do that trimming for you. Should I go ahead and trim out as many of the smaller branches as I can? You know, if you want to. Size. Yeah, if you want to, because most of the flowering is going to occur, you know, where the plant's getting the most sun. And if you want to, uh, the things are just so, that particular variety was named for Bill Basham over in Houston. It is just one of those vigorous, biggest crepe myrtles out there. So, yeah, if you want to thin it out a bit, but I, I would focus on you know reducing the length of some of those ones that are just not not putting out good growth okay great uh one other quick uh question i have another area in my garden the areas that gets no direct light at all and okay uh, i don't what the heck can i put in there to get it to have some color it's just kind of a dead spot sitting there there are um and and it, does it get bright light even if it doesn't get direct sun? It, it's got light coming through a different oak tree. Uh, okay. From uh, early afternoon until dusk. 
Uh, shrimp plant would be, Justicia, the shrimp plant would be one that should do well there. Uh, there's a beautiful salvia called eyelash sage, salvia blepharophylla or some horrible name like that. But eyelash sage is going to give you some nice bright red flowers. The so-called tropical sage, salvia coccinia, uh, grows in fairly dense shade. There's a red, a pink, and a white form of that. The red one, I think the variety is called forest fire, is most commonly grown, and it would give you a lot of color there. Uh, just for some interest, there are a couple of variegated aspidistra. Cast iron plants is one of the hardiest things, and of course it actually flowers below the surface of the ground, so we're not going to see the flowers, but uh, there are varieties that have more variegation in the foliage that could be a pretty ground cover or pretty low-growing plant mixed in. Holly fern would be a very pretty addition uh, to some of these salvias or shrimp plant. Uh, in, the, in the brightest areas, you might plant at least one plant of plumbago and see how it does. It doesn't have to have full sun by any means, and it's one of the most vigorous, free-flowering things you can imagine. So uh, those are all perennials that would be worth exploring. Okay, and do y'all have plumbagos right now? Because I'm having trouble finding them in Floresville and Seguin. We did yesterday. I think probably so. Um, early in the week, we had a lot of white, a lot of white, and a lot of blue. I know yesterday when I looked, there was a lot of blue, and I think we have more whites coming. But call before you make the trip in. But we've got about half a dozen different growers on that, so we've done pretty well with keeping it in stock this year. Okay, now I, I also have a plumbago in bright, bright light. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that that's also a shade plant. Yeah, they, in bright shade they do fine. They're so hardy and resilient. They're one of those things you can plant almost anywhere, not in deep okay. shade, but uh, they're, um, golly, they're, they are one of those champions. That's why they, they were planted in our grandparents' time, and they're still very popular today. Same way with shrimp plant. Uh, it's one of those old-fashioned plants that's uh, still around for a good reason. It does grows easily and blooms beautifully, and the hummingbirds love it. Okay, and I love shrimp plants, so that's that's yeah. probably what's going to go bad because I know they'll get really big if you take care of them too. You're exactly right. Okay, I guess I'll let you go then. I've been playing like a I don't have bees this year. I've always had bees, and I just mm-hmm. don't have bees this year, so I'm having to do pollinating on my squash. <laughs> uh, well, it does can... work. It it keeps you in the garden, and that's a good thing. Yeah. How do I get my bees back? I've heard one bee. Uh, well, plant the things that they love. Plants that produce nectar. Uh, Queen's crown is one of the most popular ones. Uh, and there's There are some new Queen's crowns that uh, start blooming earlier, and they're going to give you either pink or white. Gorgeous flowers all summer, and that's one of the real bee magnets. But anything that, uh, probably anything that's fragrant uh, is going to, bring more bees in you can also feed the bees with sort of a sugar water solution like you put into your hummingbird uh, feeders but um, just you know take a plant saucer put it in there float a sponge or a stick or something in there so the bees uh, have a way to get to the nectar without uh, without falling in and drowning and um, it looks like we're moving into a weather pattern that's going to be much more favorable to the bees so you keep up the good work in the meantime okay thank you very much i appreciate your help You're certainly welcome. Thank you. All right. 
little past due on getting a break in here, so let me talk about the Windows Source of San Antonio. And, you know, replacing windows is a good idea in an older home because of energy efficiency and just good looks. But there's so many different companies out there and so many different sources on the windows. Well, the company called the Windows Source of San Antonio, new friends that I've made that are really dedicated to giving you top quality. Most of their windows and doors that they do are made right here in Texas, and they really work to a good high standard to please you and to give you good quality work because they're, well, their windows carry a lifetime guarantee for the most part, so you know they're going to install a good window and do a good job of doing it for you. Their warranties are much more complete than many companies offer as well. They cover labor as well as glass breakage, things that uh, fine print on most windows aren't there well with Moses and his staff from the window source I think you're going to find that they do an extremely good job and they really do stand behind their work uh, check them out I know windows are expensive so you're probably going to get several bids on your project but be sure you include the window source in those bidders showrooms over in southwest San Antonio and they always welcome you to visit they also welcome your call if you have any questions at 210-879-4433 the window source of San Antonio South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like it's going to be uh, Megan and Sandy and uh, Javier and Robin. Uh, doing something a little differently, having an engineer right out here with me and a very good one. Uh, makes it a little bit easier for me having a, a screen up here. So Megan's up first. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. How are you? I'm off to a good start. How about yourself? I'm good. Well, good. Uh, the, storm that, the storm that came through last night um, knocked a lot of stuff over, but it broke off uh, one of the, the new little branches off of my bur oak. I'm just curious, uh-huh. can you can you take a cutting like that and like other things and start that from that? Very, very low percentage of success. <laughs> I wish. Okay. Okay. And and the other thing too, uh, and this is just for general knowledge, is that when you take a cutting off of a woody plant, uh, it takes a, a while for it to really become strong, uh, put out roots and become strong. Whereas if something's grown from a seed, it's probably going to put more of a tap root down, and it's just going to be a much stronger plant from day one. So I I'm afraid. Uh, I'd, I'd make mulch out of that or put it in the compost pile or something. Don't think okay. you'll have much luck rooting it, and you would want to. Perfect. Okay. And then I planted a royal purple smoke tree this year. And uh-huh. um, it's the leaves are, and I don't know if this is because they transition from one color to the other, but they're very spotted. With You know, some are on the edges, some are throughout. I mean, it's kind of all the way through where there's little... Uh-huh. Speckled. I mean, I'm a, I would call it kind of a rust look, but it is the purplish right. color. Is that normal? That's normal. And, you know, years ago, my old friend Alton Graham, every time I'd ask him about a, you know, a plant, I'd say, oh, I've heard about this. It's supposed to be so great. And he'd always say, well, how many of them do you see around here? And I'd say, well, gosh, I've, I've never really seen many of them. And he'd say, well, there's probably a reason for that. Uh, the smoke trees, if you're in real good deep soil, they will do fairly well. But in our 
more typical rocky caliche soil it's just not the best choice for a tree and you're always going to struggle with it a little bit like all trees it's important to have that root flare exposed but uh, this is one that i would very definitely keep it well mulched and uh, be careful that you are giving it you know plenty of nutrient and water if we go for an extended period without rain it's, it's going to be one of those trees that's going to be a little bit more challenging to grow here they're beautiful they're unusual but but again, the reason you don't see a lot of them is because they're just not real happy with most of our soils. Okay, well, I live south of down south of Floresville, and well, then we've okay, soil. Yeah, yeah. So At least you, you're not soil. solid rock. Yeah, okay. but um, and add add a bit of uh, along with your good fertilizer. Your soils are deficient enough down there. I'd probably definitely add some azomite there, but I think the mulch is going to be especially important to you. Okay, well, I've got that on there. And um, when you say plenty of nutrient, uh, is that like the Medina? Yeah, that's or? great. Yeah, Medina okay. uh, would be, I'd be using it at least four times a year uh, on the dry form. If you want to use a liquid and just give it a little head start, you could use the has to grow once a month or so, and you definitely will perk it up. Okay, and uh, I would assume that on bushes like Yocon and Mount Laurel, Definitely root flare also on them, on shrubs kind of thing. Absolutely. All woody plants. Palm trees, not so important. Sago palms, they have a totally different trunk structure. So there it's not as important, but every typical woody plant, shrubs, trees, all those things, they really, they, they just, the they don't have the waterproofing, so to speak, underneath the bark that you have once you get down to the root system, and they just yeah. tend to slowly, slowly rot from the outside in. So, yeah, all woody shrubs and trees, you want to okay. have that root flare exposed. And if I want to put green sand out, I can't hurt anything, right? I mean, green sand is, no. uh, I've heard y'all talk about that. Would that be and, a good addition? Only thing it'll hurt your bank account if you get too carried away with it. But no, it's it's totally non toxic. It's uh it's not an active product, so to speak. It's just oh basically mined from old ocean beds and lake beds right. and it's just where for many, many millions of years algae and the things that it contains played it out on the sandy material. And it's what makes it uh a good nutrient source, not nearly the diversity of nutrients is in something like azomite, but uh still a good product. Oh, okay. So azomite would be preferred over green sand? Uh, azomite is probably not as long-lasting, but brings more things to the table. Unfortunately, it has a little higher price, but it is an outstanding product. And and you carry that, or where do I find that? I We carry it. I think most every good nursery does. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'll see you all out there at the show in a little while. I will look forward to it, Megan. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Goodbye. you. Bye-bye. Certainly. All right, pause for a second here and talk about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. And Fanix is here, by the way. Uh, they've got a nice booth set here. And if you'd uh, like to meet, I'm sure Mark and Mike will probably both be out here. But if you don't know about Fanix, well, right here at the Festival of Flowers will be a great place to get introduced to them without uh, making that longer drive. The Fanix Nursery has been probably the oldest nursery in San Antonio, close to 90 years now, over 10 acres of ground. So they've got room for a bit of everything. 
They've got a new shipment of Jungle Jack's Plumeria, which are, of course, the one of the most fragrant things in the world, beautiful tropical plants. Uh, they've got some new citrus in. They've got a tremendous selection of crepe myrtles. They probably have over 100 varieties of crepe myrtles when all is said and done, all the way from the little miniatures all the way up to that big 35-foot Basham's Party Pink. They pretty much have it all. Plus, they've got all the organic things we talk about, quality products from Medina, Fox Farms. Uh, yeah, Phoenix is just a neat nursery. And uh, next Saturday, I believe, is when their big tomato contest happens. Go to the website at FanicNursery.com to learn more. Or, like I say, come by and say hello out here at the Festival of Flowers. That's Phoenix Nursery and Garden Center. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Broadcasting today from, it's the 23rd Festival of Flowers out here at the Al Safar Shrine. So, having a lot of fun. Let's get back to the phone lines. It's going to be Sandy and Javier and Robin and Gary. Sandy is next in line. Good morning, Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Are you there? Okay, we'll put you back on hold. Check that mute button on your phone. uh, And we'll try Javier. Javier, good morning. Good morning, sir. Javier, can you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I got you now. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, I I guess we misunderstood you. Last week, we thought you were going to have uh, Bruce Dooley, who we had heard a year ago, he had passed away. So I thought you mentioned he was going to be with you on the air today. Uh, he's going to be here for the, we do at 1 o'clock, we do something called the Organic Roundtable, where uh, four of us uh, get up there and just and, and take questions and talk at, at some length about different organic things. Um, I didn't want to ask Bruce to get up that early in the morning, plus uh, we get... We get pretty pretty busy here on the air, but no, Bruce is. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, I haven't seen Bruce in a while, but I've talked to him on occasion, so he is definitely still with us, and he is definitely scheduled to be here this afternoon, along with Stuart Frankie from Medina and Sam Sitterly from Green Grow Organics, uh, uh, all going to be on. But it's that's the organic roundtable uh, happens at one o'clock out here at the Festival of Flowers. We're telling that we want, we wish he was back on the air again. We really miss him. You know, uh, we'll probably get him to talk about that. He does. Uh, he does some podcasts, and he may be on one of the. Uh, he does a show, but I believe it's one of the uh, uh, streaming shows that he does. But I'll, I'll certainly get Bruce to talk a little bit more about that. He, we miss him here at KTSa, but uh, he's still pretty active in the in the media. So we'll try to get more information on that for you. Okay, uh, I I got a I bought a a, a small uh, oak tree from a little girl from a friend uh, years ago uh, from a project uh-huh. at school. It was a small little yeah you know just a little plant. It was an oak tree, and I guess about fifteen or maybe twenty years ago, the girl the little girl's already a lady with with kids. <laughs> and the plant, the the tree grew like you mentioned earlier, like a like a telephone pole, but right. not really too much girth. And it is between two of those, you know, I don't know the name of those trees, but they're like those uh, inexpensive trees that they 
they plant that uh, at, at every uh, home. To yeah, here probably Arizona. Arizona ash was a common uh, one back then. Yes, sir. Yeah, the ones that, that have branches fall out every time it rains or or, or we get a storm. <laughs> branches fall yeah, out. So, that and tallow trees. Yes, sir. Yeah, so it is between those two trees. So maybe you think that's what's keeping that from. Uh, uh, it's like I said, it's tall, but it's not. It, yeah, it's, if it's if it's getting shaded from the sides, that's most definitely going to keep it from filling out as much. But if you can do a little trimming on those other trees to get more sunlight to it, and of course fertilize regularly, but uh, yeah, if it's getting shaded by two other trees, that's definitely going to keep it from being as full. Can still be a healthy tree, can still grow good and tall, but that that could certainly contribute to it. Okay. All right. I, I did fertilize it, but not not recently. But uh, okay. Yeah. Do it about do it about every three months. Thank you. All right. My pleasure, Javier. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Let me get my last break of the hour done, and then we will talk to uh, Robin and Gary. I get to talk to you about uh, well, Mr. Sam Sitterly and uh, Green Grow Organic. Sam's going to be on my panel today and really looking forward to having him to uh, talk about different things organically. And one of the things he always likes to focus on is compost tea. Now, they're not the folks that, uh, you know, mow your yard or trim your trees, but uh, compost tea application is one thing that the good folks at Green Grow Organics do a good deal of, and it's amazing what it can do, and I'm sure Sam will be talking about that today. He has well over 30 years' experience. He is so knowledgeable, does everything organically, which is why I'm happy to talk about him. And uh, his main business is consulting, helping people have better, more beautiful yards through proper organic techniques. And he's just about seen every problem you can imagine. He knows what's happening right, what's happening wrong. Awful lot of people have him on retainer, so to speak, where he comes out on a quarterly basis or maybe more often than that. A lot of people just call him as needed because he's the person that can actually come to your landscape, walk through with you, and tell you what's happening happening right and wrong. Check out his website, Green Grow Organics. Uh, if it looks good to you, call and set up a consultation. Be sure you understand any charges up front. But an awful lot of people thank him for the beauty of their landscapes. That's Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and looks like we're going to talk to Robin and then Gary. That'll probably take us up to the top of the hour, and then we'll get to visit with the dirt doctor. But right now, good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. We had quite, we had quite a storm last night. I lost half of my beautiful redbud tree and oh, wow. all of that floral in the front yard. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It some areas just got lightning and some areas got uh, a lot of wind and I saw well it was very dark when I drove in this morning but I had dead limbs down and live limbs down so it was quite a storm thank goodness we at least got some good rain along with it right right okay I have two questions this morning the first okay. is my Italian fig it's about five years old and it's it's died to the ground every winter, but I come back beautiful, but it has okay. Too- okay, your phone's kind of cutting out on, on your fig. It's died down, oh. but come back out. Okay. 
it yeah it comes back it's a beautiful plant but it has never produced a fig or a flower well they don't really flower that you would notice and they don't have to flower in order to produce uh produce figs is it in full sun or is it in partial shade where is it growing well i would say it gets about six hours a day okay it probably is just not getting as much light as it really likes uh figs they they will grow in the shade but in order to produce a consistent crop of fruit uh they really do require a lot of hot direct sun um do you know which variety it is? Just Italian doesn't tell me a whole lot. Yeah, I don't. I okay. Don't. It may just be one of the varieties that's a little less productive, but unless you've got many hours of direct strong sun, that's probably why you're not getting as much fruit. Okay. If there's any way you can trim any other trees or do anything that will get more light to it, I think you'll greatly increase the amount of fruit that you get from it. Okay. Next question. I still have a lot of ants in my vegetable garden. I did uh-huh. the spinosad around the edge for the fire ants, and that seems to take care of it. But I dug my potatoes um, the other day, and I got mm-hmm. a lot of nice little potatoes that I had taken from a, a rotten one that was in my cupboard. <laughs> right. Had, yeah. Just cut it up. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to try it, you know. And, I and it worked. lovely little potatoes. I was so delighted. Right. <laughs> oh, one thing you can do about the ants, and they've been, the company changed hands and changed locations, and they just haven't gotten their production back up where it should be. But putting out some beneficial nematodes once or twice a year is probably the best long-term thing you can do to take care of a wide range of ants. Now, the come-and-get-it bait, like you mentioned, takes care of uh, the fire ants for sure. But if you still have a lot of uh, uh, of uh, ants around, I very definitely would get some beneficial nematodes and use those to treat your garden. Okay, it has helped my roses. I Good. put them around my roses. It did help those. Um, and come and get it. It's okay for the vegetable garden. Also. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just an iron phosphate, or it's a uh, a bait specific to those ants, and then it has the uh, has the spinosad added, which is probably the safest safest thing you can you can use. Robin, I'm going to let you go so I can get Gary in before our break with Howard Garrett. Uh, good morning, Gary. Uh, Bob, I just had a quick question on fruit trees that have frozen back in the last three years. Uh, okay, the, the deep freezes we had. I thought they were dead, but uh, some growth has uh, restarted from uh, the trunk uh, pretty down, uh, pretty far down to the ground. And uh, 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 some of them have, some of the branches that are coming up have sharp thorns on them. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. that uh, you indicated with these grafted uh, fruit trees that uh, if they start growing branches back with sharp thorns, uh, then uh, nothing was going to happen. Uh, good. Well... Nothing good was going to happen. These are obviously citrus trees, and um, the rootstock has, uh, you know, it's it's what has the thorns, but the rootstock will produce fruit, but it's, it's just not edible. It's horribly sour. In fact, they call it sour orange. So you have a choice. Uh, if, the, if the growth is coming out above the graft point, then it will give you the good fruit that was originally on that tree. If the growth is coming out below that point, it's never going to 
to produce an edible fruit. It can be regrafted, and uh, it's something, you know, you can learn to do yourself. And if you have a friend or if you happen to buy another, you know, good, healthy lemon or lime or orange or whatever, you could regraft those uh, trees and once again have them be good and productive. But uh, anything that's coming out below the graft point is not going to produce edible fruit. Okay, I just want to confirm that. Thanks, Bob. You're sure welcome. That do it for you today? Yeah, that's fine. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I had a little bit more time than I uh, expected to have here, so let me just take a minute or two to tell you about the Festival of Flowers happening again this year at the Al Safar. It's where it was for years. Let me tell you, this is by far the best facility for the Festival of Flowers, but uh, it is a wonderful event. Uh, uh, you know, lots and lots of information Good slant toward organic. Uh, Sauce is one of the co-sponsors, and they give away a plant to everybody that comes through the door. I see lots of salvias over there, and I see lots of pineapple sage, so don't know what all they'll be handing out, but uh, you get a little bit of a reward for paying the admission that in coming in. I think it's $8 at the door, but gosh, there are a lot of events that you pay that much for parking, and here the parking is absolutely free. Uh, there's seminars uh, throughout morning and afternoon, and at 1 o'clock this afternoon, we do what we call the organic roundtable. Uh, Bruce Dooley will be joining me live and in person, as will Stuart Frankie, who's head of Medina Agriculture. Always good sources of information. And Sam Sitterly is going to be on our panel this year, and he's been doing organic things in San Antonio for, oh, over 30 years now. So really looking forward to a good discussion. And uh, anyway, just hope you'll come out and enjoy us, uh, what they call the Garden Mall. Oh, there are some incredible plants out there. You just have to be out here to see it. We'll be right back with our visit with the Dirt Doctor and then time for a few more phone calls here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Oh, but don't dial right now because this is a time of the show that we have the pleasure of visiting with the Dirt Doctor. We'll save time for a few more calls toward the end of the show, but... Uh, Right now, it's as always at 8 o'clock on, right after 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings. Uh, time to say good morning and welcome to Mr. Howard Garrett. How are you, sir? I'm fine. I think Tater uh, fooled the caller uh, there this morning. He was very vocal. Good <laughs> Well, he... He he is known for that, and uh, hopefully the budget's going to be a little bit bigger this year. We're doing, they've gone back to doing the Festival of Flowers again after a couple of years' hiatus and uh, back out at this pretty facility out here, and sure hope it's going to be in the budget next year to get the Dirt Doctor down here to talk and be on the panel. But anyway, it's going to be a fun day today, and uh, we got another good uh, storm blew through last night, more rain and lots of lightning and things like that, so... I tell you, it's it is a pretty stretch of weather we've been having. I think it was 62 degrees at home when I left, and I think back to last year, the nights were in the 80s, and we're 105 during the day. And I don't know, it's it's making it a lot more fun for a lot of gardeners to be outside this year. It sure is nice. Well, I was thinking about something this morning when I was walking out of the garden. I've I've run the sprinkler system about once this spring. It's the rain has been spread out very nicely, yep. and the moisture levels staying great. And I'm watering pots and, you know, specific things mm-hmm. by hand, but I'm just not running the sprinkler system hardly at all. And I hope most people are doing the same.
same thing and not having it set on automatic and you know watering more than they need to be doing. Well, that's so important and so true and so much better for the plants. And uh, I, I experienced something that I hadn't seen in a while. I was having to dig a relatively deep hole up in the hill country and got down, you know, about six inches, and there were still really good soil moisture once again. That's That was contributing a lot to our problems, and I think to yours as well. That subsoil layer, which is so important, is what was really drying out, and it was really causing a lot of stress on things. But, boy, about six, eight inches down, uh, I was getting into good, moist soil that deep. And so uh, it's it's a big change, and it sure is a welcome change. Well, I started digging some of my garlic out a couple of days ago, and I hadn't even watered the vegetable garden much either. And there was, like you say, really nice moisture down in the ground the bulbs were uh, in good shape some of them <clears throat> the tips have started uh, turning brown and you mm-hmm. know time to uh, time to get them out of the ground and there's a lot of corms connected to them this year too they're really uh, healthy across the board what is it that you know most years my garlic tends to make lots of little corms there and some years it's like it makes just one big one big growth instead of having all the the little uh, individual corms uh, around it. Do you know what causes that? Or it's and it doesn't seem to be varietal. It's just some years it seems like it it makes it does so much better job of making that that big bulb with multiple corms, and some years it, it doesn't. And I, I've never really been able to figure that out. Well, in most cases, the uh, when it's just one bulb, that's called a round. And it's okay. caused by the fact that that's the first year. When the okay. corm grows the first year, it does not form uh, cloves. It just forms around. Oh, okay. And they will be uh, various sizes. You can do two things. You can leave those in the ground, and mm-hmm. they'll turn into a big bulb the next year. That's probably my elephant garlic that you're talking about. It right. Doing that from. Uh, well, and the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. elephant garlic I've seen, but I've seen it a bit on the others, and no, that elephant it'll garlic do, is... It'll do, yeah, it'll do it on both of them. You can leave it in the ground, or you can pull it up and keep it cool and stored, and then plant it again in the fall uh, for it to, you know, turn into a, a bulb that'll be about twice the size of the round. Uh-huh. You can well, use it around. You can cook with it too. It's the same yeah, yeah. garlic. It's just you know not not farming the the uh, <laughs> uh, cloves. Yeah, you can't can't turn it into ten plants next year where it was one plant this year. And uh, one of the things uh, I'm going to have the pleasure of visiting with Stuart Frankie a little bit later today, and uh, I'm going to see if I can get him interested in going back to producing a garlic pepper tea. I think. You know, back in the days when Gary DeMasters was making it, that was one of the most useful products, so to speak, around the garden of anything we've had. And uh, people can make their own, but I sure would love to see that on where people can buy it already made because that that's one of those things that is just so useful in the in the garden and so hard to find. And just it just takes a little time, takes a little effort, and um, I'd like to hope that maybe we could get them producing more of that and uh i'm going to get after him again about seeing if we can't find a way to 
bottle of liquid BTI, and uh, th- those are two things that I want to talk to him about. What other products, if anything, uh, would you love to see on the shelf that we haven't seen in a while? Well, I've actually talked to him about the garlic pepper tea as well, and uh, yeah, if you could have some luck getting that done, that'd be great. I think that's the most important thing, and I don't know if they um, would be interested, but if they would uh, take the kale and clay and put it into gallon uh, containers, that would be a a usable uh, size for homeowners, and it would work. I got a new tip on, on the tree trunk goop thing that I'm playing with right now we can talk about too uh-huh. but, uh, the other thing, the BTI in the, in the containers uh, right. for homeowners very, would be very important I think that would be a great idea yeah well and one I like thing, the tail go ahead go ahead one of the th- go ahead and say what you were going to say I want to talk about tree trunk goop a little bit too oh okay, I, I was just going to say that uh, because we just cannot find the nosema bait, semispore or nolo, whatever, it's just not out there this year, and it looks like it's going to be a bad year for grasshoppers. I, I was doing some shredding in one of my fields, and uh, I don't, kale and clay is about the only other thing other than just trying to bring more birds in the landscape to to try to limit grasshopper damage, and I would love to see that in a little bit more user-friendly form, so I think that's a great idea, but... Uh, Go go ahead and talk about tree trunk goop too. Yeah, that that kale and clay for grasshopper repellency. It, it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but it works very mm-hmm. very well. It's the best tool we've got. Yeah. yeah, I got a call on my show last week about beaver control, and you know we don't have beavers around here that much. I run into it occasionally when I did the landscaping uh, at uh, Freetail Lay headquarters. We had some trouble with. Beavers, and I was telling them there that I put chain link fence around the base of the cypress trees that they were damaging. Uh-huh. And it worked really well until one smart beaver figured out he could climb up over the top of the chain link fence <laughs> wrapping and do it anyway. But chain link fence is good because you can wrap it around and kind of overlap it so you can enlarge it, paint it black, and it it's mm-hmm. pretty foolproof about them hurting at the base. But anyway, I did a little quick research during one of the breaks on the show, and right then the show, and I didn't even get a chance to talk about it on the uh, air there, but I have already used this idea on one of my landscape projects. It it was talking about using uh, exterior latex paint, which I've recommended in the past, you know, for sunburn protection, but to put uh, carbon uh, masonry sand or sharp sand in the paint, uh, the recommendation I ran into was to use 20 ounces of sand per gallon of paint, which would be 20 jiggers. That's the way I would, <laughs> easy way to think that's, about that. That's exactly what I tell people. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then the uh, Greenway Parks here in Dallas, I've done their master tree planting plan and consulting for years, and we've, we've done... We redesigned the entryways, and I designed a whole bunch of Japanese maples into the two main entries off of Mockingbird Lane. And uh-huh. we've had squirrel damage uh, on them, and uh, we've used the tree trunk goop. It's when I use that new formula, the kale and clay, azomite, and compost. And it worked beautifully, but it goes away. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. the 
the asthma, the uh, kaolin clay <laughs> helps to hold it on there longer, but it'll right. still wash off with rain after a period of time. You have to redo it. And I got thinking, well, this paint idea might work as well. So what they're putting they're putting on the the new trees that have been planted. We're seeing a little bit of squirrel damage again, not nearly as bad as the first round. But we're going to do the paint and use lava sand in oh. the exterior latex paint and put a little azomite in with it as well and you won't have to reapply it. It'll just it'll just grow off. Now it's gonna be interesting to look at how well the the uh, healing and the callusing around the damaged area forms with the paint instead of just being the organic materials that you have to uh, replace. But it's an mm-hmm. idea that we came up with and we're actually trying it, so we'll give you a report on how it works after a month or so, see if, see if the healing happens. The, the formula that we used before, kaolin clay, azomite, and compost, it not only started the healing process real quickly, but it, it repelled the squirrels until this year and for over a year and the damage that we're seeing now is very very slight so uh, anyway that is two two different ways to go there that is so smart (laughs) it's just you know and and i've mixed you know sharp sand with paint before you know to paint like deck surfaces that were really slick and where you wanted to have a little bit rougher you know, just a slip and fall hazard, and has, so I know you yep. certainly can mix it with paint, but I never thought about you know actually painting it on a tree trunk, and that would be, gosh, that would, that that's just <laughs> that that's a really smart idea, and and sounds like it would work perfectly. Uh, it'll be interesting with adding the azomite, um, and I just you know with the latex paint, you would think that. It would still, you'd still get some benefits. You'd still get some of the nutrient moving through. But gosh, that's that that's a phenomenal idea, really is. Well, we'll keep everybody posted on it. I think it's going to work uh, quite well, and especially using the lava sand. And uh, you know, it's relatively inexpensive anyway. Uh, the mm-hmm. other thing I would add to that formula is that the latex paint color that you use get a uh-huh. get a grayish. Get a, a gray color or a light tan color. In fact, a, a mixture of of light gray and tan might be the best kind of universal mm-hmm. color uh, to go on the tree trunk, and it doesn't even show up very badly. One thing that I've learned doing my own trees with paint is that you also want to, if you try to match the color of the trunk, which you can do, <laughs> yeah, try yeah. to do it with a little darker color than the trunk actually is because as it dries it lightens up in color great suggestion that's a really good suggestion and i know we talked once before not on uh on the plants but you talked about using a a dark green on metal structures and things like that that you wanted to have just blend in and become almost invisible in the landscape so um it, it just 
lots of good things a person can do with latex paint, and it seems to be just totally harmless to the plants. It it seals the wounds, and uh, yeah, without being caustic in any way. I I've gotten to where we just almost never ever recommend the what they you know sell as pruning paint, because I've seen that that really slows down wound heating rather than speed it up, and. Uh, you know, be using things like the tree trunk goop and now maybe even getting it stick better with this. It's just another one of those really good ideas. Yeah, it's very inexpensive and it lasts longer and, and the whole deal. One, one thing related to this story, though, that I ran into here at the house, I've been noticing walking into my front door, looking up over the top of the house, I can see the top of the trees in the backyard. And one of the trees that's grown really well is the canby oak. Uh-huh. There's a big dead area in the top of the cambio, and it really catches my eye. It's already turned brown, and then I look at the rest of the canopy, and the leaves look very weak, and I think, what in the world is going on with my tree? And I go around and look at the base of the tree, flares exposed great, the bottom foliage of the tree looks great. One of my buddies, uh, arborist buddies, young guy, came over, and he climbed the tree and found that that squirrels had girdled the top growth oh, wow. in two places completely. And uh, we do have lighting in the tree, and the lighting the lighting company didn't do a very good job of, of maintaining it over the years. And there is some of the cables sinking into the tree and the mm-hmm. connection to the light in one case. But it's not girdling or anything. It doesn't look like it would have caused uh, a great amount of stress. So it's a real head-scratcher why squirrels would attack uh, limbs, terminal growth, that's about two inches in diameter or more. That's crazy, yeah. All the way around and completely kill that growth. I, uh, again, like you say, it's a real head-scratcher. I, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't like squirrels. I get teased I in the... I call them bushy tail tree rats. <laughs> I get uh, I get criticism. Well, I tell you, have you are you familiar with something called the squirrelinator? No. Have you seen or heard of that? I I had seen one. Somebody had brought one by the nursery, and then a good friend uh, actually gave me one for I don't remember Christmas or something like that. And it's a live trap, so don't anybody get upset about that. But it well, you can catch six or eight squirrels at a time in it. Simply bait it with bird seed or whatever, and you can you're not just going after one squirrel at a time. And for whatever reason, they don't have any hesitation of walking into it. I can't really describe the mechanism real well, but uh, Google it. Look at it sometime. It's called a squirrelinator, and anybody that's really having a squirrel problem and uh, wants to uh, wants to get rid of them in, in numbers, uh, it, it's certainly worth looking at. And, uh, again, I'll probably hear about this, but <laughs> one of the interesting <laughs> things in the instructions, it comes in sort of a plastic tub. This thing's about maybe 24 inches wide, but it says uh, the tub can also be used as convenient euthanasia chamber if desired. <laughs> so, okay, all you squirrel lovers out there, you didn't hear me say that, but uh, for those who want to trap and relocate, it is, uh, you know, it is a good live trap, but it's, uh, I've I've trapped one at a time for a long time, and then somehow they get smart, but the fact that several of them will go in at a time, it's just 
anybody fighting squirrels needs to know about the squirrelinator. We don't sell them or anything like that, but sometimes I wish we did, uh, simply because they are so effective. Well, I'll definitely check into it because it's a problem around here. They've ruined our outdoor furniture and uh, you know done damage to plants. Usually, they're attacking plants that are in stress. So that's what's right. So, uh, yeah, but I know your cambi oak's not. Yeah, that that just doesn't make yeah, sense. But uh, yeah. By the way, and that I, worm y'all were talking about uh, too. I was going to bring that up. We've got a uh, an article. I'm going to turn it into my next column that uh, you know shows up on DirtDoctor.com. Some usually Wednesday or Thursday. Uh huh. Depends on when I get around to it these days, but. Uh, I think it's the same land planarian, and they've apparently it has shown up. I haven't seen any myself, and I haven't gotten any calls about it. So it did show up in a newspaper column, and uh, people are talking about it. So I'll put it into a column. All I'm telling people to do is kill it with orange oil spray mm-hmm. or vinegar is fine, vinegar and orange oil, and you could add hydroperoxide to the uh, spray and that works too the best way is to actually pick them up and put yeah. them in a jar that has the orange oil in there and, and exactly they, they they are hard to kill i tried to kill them with diatomaceous earth and it did mm-hmm. not phase them no they crawled off from it and and lived through it without any problem i guess because they've got so much of a slime coating it just protects them from that but the the orange oil and vinegar, hydrogen peroxide, those kind of things, it'll, it'll take them out. Well, somebody told me that it had shown up in Texas Monthly, and that's that's still a widely read magazine, and that may that may be that where some... Happened, yeah. But I, I haven't seen any in probably 20, 25 years. We had a few of them show up at one point, so... I, and, of course, I don't know whether, you know, being 100% organic like we both are, whether that is limited and there's something they don't like about that. But I just, uh, I don't think they they pose the major threat that, you know, how people are out to sensationalize things. But uh, we still have a very healthy earthworm population and very, like I said, I, I haven't seen one in a lot of years. And so it's not like something that's just moving in and and taking out huge numbers of earthworms but they're they're a funny looking little deal and that the picture that apparently was in that article to me is not representative at all you know of what what the ones that i've seen they're relatively flat hence you know flatworm planarian and uh, they do very definitely have that spade shaped head but the uh, picture that i saw in the one article that somebody sent me is very misleading as to what they actually look like so uh uh, if you're able uh, to get a picture in with your column, it might be a real good thing so people know what to look for. Well, I've got several pictures uh, in there already. They can, uh, good. I'll, the the, uh, the uh, column will be expanded a little bit, but it's a it's an entry on DirtDoctor.com now. Sure. And it's yeah. under it's under Land Planarian okay. So uh, and about four four or five different pictures I've got of flatworms, and I took them probably, like you said, I, it was probably 20 years ago when I took those pictures of those worms that were here in my garden, and I haven't seen any since, so there there may be something about the strong biological activity of the soil that they don't like. 
And, you know, I think sometimes, too, it's just we're not their native environment. Apparently, they originally came out of Southeast Asia, and uh, there are just a lot of things different here. And some some things like starlings and some of the other things we don't like uh, have adapted very well. Many other things, uh, they just they, they don't catch on, so to speak. And I, I think that's probably the case here. They're is a residual population around but not enough uh not enough to cause you know any any concern to me one other thing that i'll mention just briefly and i had not seen these but um i was walking through this uh the big show out here this morning before i went on the air and one of the people uh i guess a, a tree care company had a number of little brochures from the international society of arboriculture isa and for the most part, I have to say that what they have in these things, not 100%, but for the most part, follows very, very corre- very correctly what you and I talk about all the time as far as tree care, tree planting, and a few things I take exception with. But uh, they're pretty good little handouts, and I don't uh, – anyway, I'll uh, maybe I'll grab a handful of them and just drop in the mail to you so you can look through them and see too. But I- I'm glad to see that they are – recognizing the root flare issue that they are recommend planting higher than lower and uh there's they have a pretty good one that does a good job of explaining why topping trees is such a bad idea and just i'm, I'm always glad to see in print uh things that we talk about because it reaches sometimes a different audience uh, in a very good way so anyway yeah, it's yeah, uh, like yeah i will i'll pick up some more of them and Put in, put in the mail to you in the next couple of days. But uh, we'll tell the pups, uh, give them a big pet, and tell Tater to keep keep, keep singing. That uh, he's, I know Don, and oh, I, I, you know, alternate through three different people that uh, work the end of it back at the radio station on Saturday mornings. But everybody loves Tater. Tell him he's a he's a much loved puppy dog. He's loud mouth. All the members of the Organic Club of America go into the uh, members area, and I did three videos of the uh, uh, sculpture and my art and everything at the art show before it got going, and they, they can do the little tour and also uh, explanation of the plants in my garden. So that's that's available for the members. Very and, good. Uh, well, I've got to remember... I say I've got to remember my password. I sat down to look the other day and could not remember what password I used on that, but I'll get it figured out. So anyway, you were saying tell everybody? I just tell everybody at the show that uh, Dirt Doctor said hi, and we'll uh, talk again next week. We'll sure look forward to it, Howard. You have a good week, and uh, enjoy it as always. We'll uh, keep, keep hoping for more good rain and more beautiful mornings and more great gardens. So... Sure enjoyed it, and I sure do thank you. Thanks, Bob. See you next time. Certainly. All right. Uh, That's Mr. Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. DirtDoctor.com, by far the best site on the Internet as far as uh, applicable information that really, most of the stuff that's on the Internet simply doesn't apply to South Texas. But what you read on DirtDoctor.com most certainly will. And there is so much information there. Golly, take some time and sit down and join the Organic Club of America. It's only a few dollars a year, and it'll give you access to even more. Right now, I'm going to do a break, and then we will... uh, Um, have time for a few more phone calls and I get to talk to you once again about, uh, let's see, who am I going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Kinetico once again and uh, Kinetico is just a, oh gosh, just a wonderful water softener out there. Kinetico systems are so different from the electronic 
versions that plug in that get damaged by power surges and lightning strikes. Uh, the electronic water softeners, once again, they recharge on a preset schedule, and that wastes salt, that wastes water. Kinetico systems are much more of a natural product, you might say, in that they run on the kinetic energy that is in the water itself. No need for electricity, and because they only recharge when the rosin needs to be recharged, you're saving a lot of salt, a lot of water, both of those are important, and most of all, a lot of money. Kinetico systems work, they are durable, they are reasonably priced, and if you'd like to learn more, simply go to KineticoSA.com or give them a call at 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, it looks like we've got a full bank of phone calls. It's going to be Martha and uh, Annette and Janie and Shirley. Let's get started. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. You Good need morning. a hotline. We had a terrible <laughs> windstorm, and both of my window boxes hit the ground with oh, wow. okay. and uh, some coxcomb and some sage. I've been sticking them in the broken off parts that after I trimmed it in pots. Uh-huh. Any other suggestions to try to get them to reroot? <laughs> um, spray them down. Just mist the foliage with Garrett juice. Uh, maybe even add a little extra seaweed to it. And um, focus on keeping, if you put them into soil... Uh, the soil needs to be moist but not soggy wet. Uh, roots form in oxygen-rich environments, so I would I would water thoroughly to wet the soil, but beyond that, I would mist the foliage regularly, and that could be three times an hour, but don't keep the soil itself too <laughs> yeah. wet. So, you know, just, just water initially, but keep a, just keep a little mist bottle sitting there, and every time you walk by it, pick up and just mist over the foliage, and that will greatly increase your, your chance of getting things to root well for you. Great. Thanks. I was just in in tears this morning when I saw it. <laughs> wow. And what, what part of town are you in? Two. Oh, I'm in just out of New Berlin. We had, the okay. good news was we had a half an inch of rain. Now, that's always good news. It, I, I was, I don't know why, I was just really sound asleep last night, and I was certainly conscious of the storm, but I did not hear that much bad wind. Ours was mainly lightning and thunder with some good rain as well, but I've had two or three callers tell me that the wind damage was severe, so glad it didn't bring down trees. Window boxes are bad enough, but <laughs> it's... That's uh, true. Well, I appreciate okay, the call. Thank you so much. You you are, I'm glad I got through. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Martha. Thank you. Next in line is Annette. Good morning, Annette. Hi, Bob. This is Annette. Yeah. I have two questions for you. Okay. Uh, Where can I buy that uh, grass that's for the shade at Delmar and Palmetto? Try the first place that I would try is uh, Thomas Stone and Landscape. Um, They typically have better quality grass than most of the other grass yards I see around. Uh, their head office is out in Bulverde, but they have an outlet uh, near the corner of Redland Road in 1604, which is convenient to more of San Antonio. That's where I would start as far as uh, is, is finding those. Okay. All right. 
And the second question is, a couple weeks ago, you and the dirt doctor talked about um, your tree goop and putting it on a tree to stop the ball moss. The ball moss is going crazy in our area. So is that true? Does it help kill it? No, uh, I don't remember having that discussion. If you want to spray with baking soda, um, that will kill it. Now, I happen to think that it doesn't make it jump out of the tree, and I happen to think that dead ball moss <laughs> is uglier than live ball moss. So, um, but, but baking soda can be used. There's some other toxic products that I don't recommend, uh, like copper sulfate, but it's very, very toxic. But the most important thing to recognize is that ball moss is not hurting your tree. Uh, ball moss is, to many people, is com- cosmetically unattractive, but ball moss is not a parasite. It takes nothing from the tree. It's actually a little bromeliad, uh, Tillandsia, and you'll see it growing mostly on the inner limbs of the tree because it's a little bit more shaded there. And people say, well, it's killing off all the vegetation. No, it's growing there because it's more shaded, but because it's more shaded, the tree simply loses leaves on its own. Uh, The tree somehow, if you could give it a brain, it would know that leaves in the shade are not getting the sun's light. So there's, you know, the the tree just sheds its interior leaves anyway and puts all its new growth on the outer part. But uh, that ball moss is not hurting or damaging your tree in any way. So don't feel that you have to get rid of it unless you just don't like the sight of it. Well, I thought... That it wasn't killing, but I see all these dead trees with packs no. of uh, ball moss on it. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the ball moss. No, has nothing to do with the ball moss. A Tillandsia is a genus of, you know, there are probably maybe several hundred different species, but uh, uh, bromeliad simply uses it as a place to hang on, but it's not taking anything from the tree or creating any toxins whatsoever. Okay, how would I do the uh, baking soda? Make you put, uh, yeah, yeah, dissolve, um, well, as, as much of it, you know, it, you dissolving it is one thing, but when you get it too strong, it, it stops going into solution. Just mix as much of it in as you can get to dissolve in the water, and then just spray lightly. Remember, you don't want to soak the soil underneath the tree because it does contain sodium, and that's not a good thing in large quantities. But you just, uh, and the time to do it is about now, when the ball moss starts putting on its tender new growth for the year, that's when the baking soda is most effective at killing it. Okay. And that doesn't stop up your sprayer? <laughs> no, no. Uh, and not unless you mix it too strong. It will actually go oh. into solution. It will dissolve. And as long as you're doing that, you'll be just fine with your sprayer. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your answer. I appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, Annette. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the call. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Don, let, let's run our last break here, and we'll come back and finish up with Janie and Shirley. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Oh, boy, this morning has flown by like it always does, but even more so today. Golly, there's a crowd of people getting together out here for the Festival of Flowers. It's at the Owls Fargo's on all day long. Hope you will plan to be here at 1 o'clock for our organic roundtable when I'll be joined by Bruce Dooley, Sam Sitterly, and Stuart Frankie, and we will have... 
I never know what we're going to talk about, but encourage people to write down their questions and bring them in, and then we'll just have a good little roundtable discussion about different topics. But uh, also before the end of the broadcast, I want to say big thanks to my engineer Greg and Ann and the good people from KTSA here that have made this show run real smoothly and easily. Not to mention Mr. Don Cooper Stevens back at the station just doing a great job as always. Right now, let's get a couple more calls in. It'll be Janie and then Shirley. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. <laughs> I've got uh, two questions. Uh, okay. With all this that we've been getting, which I got it last night and a lot of wind, uh, I'd like to know, would that make the pecantry, uh give us pecans by so much rain that we've had? More The more rain we get uh, the, this time of year, it's both good and bad. Pecans, uh, the, the pecan has to be pollinated. They don't make a big flower, of course. But in this case, the pollen blows from one tree to another. And this is how we get the pecan nut started. When we get a lot of rain at the time the trees are shedding their pollen, it reduces the, you know, the set, so to speak. Normally... The rains that we've gotten this year have been spread out, you know, no more than once a week. So it's going to have very little impact on, you know, the the number of pecans that start to grow. The critical time is in July and August when we need real deep, thorough rains to fill out uh, the pecans, uh, especially some of the longer varieties, the old western Schley and its hybrids. Uh, many years we don't have enough water, and they don't not only fills up about half of the harder shells. So uh, this time of year, rain is both good and bad, but the kind of rains we've been getting uh, so far this year have been excellent for the pecans. Now, if we can just get some good late summer rains, then we should have a great pecan crop this year. Okay. And another question. I've got a mountain laurel, and it's in a pot, and I've been bringing it to the patio so it wouldn't get so much rain. But I put it out uh, when it stopped raining, and it uh-huh. rained again last night. And I know I've heard you say that they don't like to be water that much, right? Well, Janie, you're a really good listener. Uh, in a pot, it's not that much of an issue because it's not the water that hurts. It's when the when the soil gets so saturated that it drives the oxygen out of the soil, that's when a tree's roots suffer. And in the ground, when it stays too wet, that drives the oxygen out, and that's an issue. In a pot where the water can run right on through, unless it rained every day for two weeks in a row, I don't think the rain would bother your mountain laurel. So don't break your back trying to move it around. In a pot, I think the rain's going to be just great for it. I don't think you have to worry about moving it. Okay. Well, you have a good time over there where you're going, or if you're there already. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's been a good morning. I'm going to run back to the nursery and got a bunch of work to do there, and then I'll be back out here for the roundtable. So it's going to be a great day, and it's always a pleasure when I get to talk to you. So you have a good weekend, and we'll visit again. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. All right, we'll finish the show up as far as callers go with Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. And good morning, Bob. I've good morning. Uh, okay. I'm having, with all this rain, I'm having some um, soil erosion. And uh-huh. I'm not sure how to or who to call to help with that. Um, it, it's, the water isn't draining the way it used to drain. It's now has turned and it's now following uh, this line that goes under my driveway. 
Okay. So is that a landscape? That's that's more of an architectural or an engineering project, so to speak. Um, boy, I wish I had a name to give you. Um, if you know any good builders, um, I, again, I don't want to see you going out and spending a fortune with some engineering company because that's not what you need. A a good landscaper might be able to uh, to give you the advice you would need on how to do it. Sometimes when it gets real bad, we go to something, it's sort of an underground drain we call a French drain that will take care of that. But uh, I would... If you if you have a working relationship with anybody in the building business or any good landscape designer, those are the people that I would talk to. And uh, like I say, I wouldn't I wouldn't spend a huge amount of money trying to talk to a consultant or somebody like that because you're probably going to get an an imperfect solution. But um, call call, and I, I wish I had a name to give you, but. Um, uh, there's a fella, and actually, if you call Shades of Green, uh, ask him to give you Steve Beck, B-E-C-K. Give you Steve's number. I can't say the name of his business, but he worked with one of the better landscape architects for many years, and he has solved just about every landscape problem you can imagine. Call Shades of Green and tell him you want Steve Beck's phone number, and tell Steve I told you to call and see if he can help you. Okay, Bob. The other question I have is I've been noticing a lot of mushrooms in my flower beds. Uh huh. Is that is that good or bad? It's it it's uh, mushrooms are the fruiting body of a harmless fungus. Uh, most fungi, only a handful of fungi are bad. Most fungi are actually beneficial, but uh, fungi don't bloom. They don't make seed. They reproduce by spores, and the little things that we call mushrooms or toadstools. Uh, those are the reproductive structure of a fungus. That's they form spores down between the gills and the cap. So all on earth that is telling you is that you have a lot of organic material in your soil and the fungi that are gradually decomposing that material are just reproducing is what you're seeing. Now, many times if you've had a tree cut down or a tree die in your yard, uh, you'll actually see straight little lines of the toadstools or mushrooms appearing and those are just following where the tree roots were. As the tree roots break down, the fungus is making that tree root decompose. Eventually, it's going to send up its little fruiting structure, and they're just they're just following the roots. And everywhere you see a line of mushrooms out in the yard, if you were to dig down, you would find a decaying root underneath. So they are really harmless. They're uh, don't let your puppy dogs eat them or it'll give you an upset tummy. Give them an upset mm-hmm. tummy. But there's certainly not anything that you should be concerned about. If they get mm-hmm. so thick, sometimes they can almost, you know, create a waterproof layer on the soil. In that case, just take a rake or something like that and just rake through to break the soil up a little bit. But uh, they're, they're not an issue or anything you need to worry about. Okay. The other question that I had was you, you talked about the beneficial nematodes. Right. Where, mm-hmm. where do you, is, is that something that I can buy at a, at a nursery? 
You certainly, usually you can. Now, there's a dry form and a form that comes as live nematodes on little blue sponge. The live form very definitely works best against grub worms and things like that, but that company has had trouble keeping up with production. As far as ant control, the dry form that you can buy at several nurseries is probably all you need for ant control, and they should be pretty pretty readily available. In fact, I think even Nature's Creation might be a good brand name you'd want to look for there. Okay, and that's just, you just sprinkle that on, on the yeah. um, ant bed? Around the area. Yeah, around the area. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, those are all my questions. Thank you. Bob, good questions they are. Questions. It's always my pleasure. Thank you. I'll go look for those nematodes. That sounds great, Shirley. Thanks for the call. Well, everybody, about 20 seconds left here in the show. It's time for Martin Bamba up next with your home improvement questions. The man knows his stuff, not just about siding and roofs and everything, but anything about building, the building trades, about what projects you can do yourself, what projects you might want to need the professional's help with. Uh, be sure and stick around for that. It comes up next right here on KTSA. We'll do gardening again tomorrow from 8 till 11, followed by your plant's health, or your pet's health, rather. I do the plant health. Dr. Kirby does the pet's health. And once again, all you Bruce Dooley fans, Bruce is going to be on my roundtable out here at the Festival of Flowers at 1 o'clock today.